spiritual fireworks? Yeah. yeah. No, no, we, uh, Tim, I was telling Tim about a bunch of fireworks and we were blowing them off last night. But, yeah. You know, we didn't do it Sunday night. Yeah. But, uh, we had like, uh, commercial stuff right there. Yeah. He was all just waiting. Yeah, he, he wanted to, you know, fire them up. I said, well, he should probably wait until after. At least the sun goes down. Or, you know, <laughs> That's great. But uh, he's never done that. Before. Yeah. Uh, he, I was telling him he used to pull the flowers all the time. Yeah. As a kid, and uh, I was looking at my wife, and I was like, yeah, I can always tell the newbies See, they love the fuse and run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And she's looking at me like, yeah. I was like, you never play with fireworks? Yeah. No. <laughs> like, oh man, you guys have. That's right. I mean, I was a poor little kid in Memphis, but I had fireworks. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Feels like someone just slapped your oh, hand with a hammer. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you, if you bite the end of them, yeah. you can kind of hold them away. It still feels like you got smacked in the fingers with something yeah. hard, but it's not as bad as if they just kind of explode on you. Yeah. Because yeah. then you can actually get burnt. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you get hurt. Yeah. My, my brother had, I don't think I ever had one. Remember one time they were blowing fireworks off in the field? One hit me in the throat, but I, I don't think it like exploded or anything. It just scared me like crazy. Yeah. You know, because some of them, every once in a while, you'll find them present. Yeah. You know, that, you know, they didn't really get, get blown off. But, but my brother one time, he was lighting one, and either he didn't know it got lit, or the fuse was really small or something. You know, I. <laughs> That's crazy. And, uh, he just kind of like hit his hand from my parents because he didn't want my parents to know he was messing around. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. We haven't done either. It's hard to celebrate these days. Yeah. They need to leave. It's hard to get happy about it. Fourth of July. <laughs> they need to legalize freedom. Allegedly, 
what's that? Coin shortage. Oh, yes. And how they want to start doing away with coins, and then it's going to be cash next. Yeah, that's been coming for years. It's been coming. I'm surprised in 2021 we're still using cash. Yeah. You know, because, you know, you could see this way back in the 90s. There was this huge paperless society push. Yeah. Um, that's, that's when I was working at uh, John Hancock. In Boston, and I saw it very, very clearly in a financial institution. In fact, I was working with them when they first started publicly traded. You know, it, you know, it was a big deal because, like, oh, now you have stock options and all this wonderful thing, and all. all and I, I had to learn about what stock options were. I didn't, I didn't even know what they were back in those days. So we, you know, I had to kind of learn all that stuff, and and. Uh, you know, I, I did, I, I kind of invested in my own, I didn't really, I didn't call them investment so much, but I put extra money in my stock options to say, just to, because it seemed like they were going up pretty pretty quickly on the stock market. But at the same time all this is going on, I was working in a department, our whole department's job was to get rid of all the paper. You know, uh, the mail room was in our department because all the letters and all the forms and everybody's request forms, whether it's for uh, a claim or, or anything like that, uh, would always come through our area. Because we had to take all this paper and scan it, like these huge machines. I, I worked on this high-speed scanner at the time, where you take a sheet of paper like this, and it just goes, <laughs> and like within two minutes, the whole sheet of paper is scanned. Yeah. And you can see the images on, Computer screen just going, blip, 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 you know, wow. and if there's a problem, everything will stop and you have to figure it out. But yeah, I mean, so everything was just getting scanned, scanned, scanned. So we take all these papers, box them up, and they go get sent out to some warehouse. And after I don't know 20 years, it all gets destroyed or something. But the whole idea was we're putting everything computerized, and they're encouraging all the people in their company. And many people uh, use John Hancock for one reason or another. Yeah. They're trying to get everyone that you know use that's involved in their company in any way to do everything online, everything through email, everything through electronic form. That's when the electronic signature was a big thing. And that was that was in the late nineties. I mean that was over twenty years ago. So yeah. it's like I'm surprising surprised. it hasn't progressed past that by now. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know what, what the stall was. But it's, it's, you know, it seems like, you know, I don't know if, uh, if you ever saw that show The Office. Yeah. The, the, the Office is all about a paper company. And yeah, done the, the whole Yeah, yeah, the whole idea was it was a business in decline. Because, you know, that that was like, oh, what did that show come out in 2005 or something? something like that, yeah. So, you know, the idea was, yeah, paper, any kind of paper is in decline. My brother used to work at Sun Chronicle in Attleboro. Uh, they eventually had to let them go because the paper papers aren't going anywhere. Yeah. You no know, one does paper. If you want news, you, you look it up on your phone or yeah. or whatever, your tablet or computer. No one. I mean, buying a newspaper is for the fifty plus crowd. Yeah. Know? So yeah, no. I mean, that, yeah, that's getting rid of coins. That's what Canada started doing. They don't even have. Uh, Pennies anymore? They haven't had pennies in years. Really? 
That's crazy. Leaders, yeah, the, the lowest denomination is missing. Wow. And um, but then they did something weird. They took their one and two dollar bills away, and they made one dollar coins and two dollar coins. And again, this was years and years ago. So they don't have pennies, but they do have dollar coins and two dollar coins. That's weird. So their lowest denomination of paper money is five dollar bill. Their lowest denomination coins is five cents. So everything in Canada is going to be rounded up to the five cent mark. You know, yeah. Or rounded down, whatever. But no, I mean in Canada, kind of they borrow from Europe. So I don't know what Europe's doing. I don't know if Europe would still have a. You know, in England, I know it's just like a. I guess they call it. Pence, right? It's kind of like their pence. Yeah. And then they have the two cents or the tuppence, which is two cents, which I don't even think they have that anymore. They did that with yeah. all those really low denominations. So it's like you see it coming out of Canada, out of Europe, and all this stuff seems to come out of Europe. Then it'll go to places like Canada and Australia. And then after that, other countries will pick up on it. When it finally gets into America, or United States, I should say, when when we do it, it's like done deal. The whole the whole world starts. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's kind of like um, even with social issues, like the the whole the gender thing. Yeah. But that's that's not new because they've been dealing with this overseas for a while. Canada's been dealing with stuff like that for a while, and now it's like blown up here. And now once it's a thing here, it's going to be a done deal everywhere. Yeah. Once they totally win that battle, which they can't. Always. So yeah, I mean, America's never on the front line with a lot of that stuff, and yet when it gets settled here, it gets settled everywhere. Yeah, yeah this is the way it works. You think China's the next superpower because they're so crooked? They basically yeah. steal their way to the top. Yeah, they're definitely a superpower. Yeah, they're definitely a superpower. I mean, they've been that sleeping giant again for a long time because they, you know, they. Technically communist, but not yeah. really. Yeah. They're kind of like a democratic communist. I, uh, did you ever see that movie, uh, Karate Kid with uh, Will Smith's son? No. Kind of like the newer version of no. Karate Kid. Uh, it's okay. It, it starred Jackie Chan and, uh, what's the kid's name? Jaden Smith. People leave that out. But anyway, when he, when he was still a teenager or 11, 12, however it was, he, he started with Jackie Chan and kind of an update, yeah. the whole Karate Kid idea. His mom and him moved over to China. And it was really, I, I really got, how long ago was that movie? At least 10 years ago. Yeah, probably. So I really got a sense of, wow, they're really singing Chinese phrases. You know, because uh, there was this one part where, uh, uh, Jackie Chan was like the maintenance man in this building, kind of like the uh, Mr. Miyagi type guy, and uh, he was showing the kid how to how to get a shower on. You know, you you gotta you gotta turn the switch on. That turns the hot water heater on downstairs. You gotta wait like 20 minutes or whatever it was, and then you can take a shower. And the kid kind of like, why you do that way? And the idea was just like Jackie Chan was kind of like, oh. You know, because we don't waste power, you know, it's the, and it was like this, 
just like we're so advanced. Glorifying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, China is just so advanced. You wasteful Americans and all this. And I was like, wow. You know, here it is, a movie produced and and made and all this. You know, in the United States, I I know they filmed in China, at least part of it. But uh, I was like, here, here it is. I mean, you've got to have Chinese backers on this thing. Yeah. But you know, how how much how much of that stuff's gone on since then? And this is this is like right out in open air spaces. China's great, you know. Did you just, I heard through the grapevine basically? Did you ever see the thing where John Cena is apologizing to China for recognizing Taiwan as a state? And he's speaking sure, it. He it. he's speaking it back to them. You can look it up on YouTube in perfect Mandarin. Apologizing for for saying that Taiwan was a state. Cool. And one of the recent movies that came out, I forget which one. John Cena's a big muscle, yeah. Uh, yeah. wrestler guy, eh? Oh yeah. Well, what business does he have? He he was in a Disney movie, and he said something. Yeah, he's, he's an up and coming big actor now. Is he? Oh, yeah. Okay. And then one of the recent movies that came out. Made uh like I think 168 million dollars or billion whatever it is, and 140 of that came from China. Yeah, wow, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, we were talking about this the other day. It's like what going Saturday, whatever. Possibly. 200 million man army. Yeah, yep. Possibly coming out of China or not. The kings of the east being talked about. Yeah, I. We, we've always kind of, well, I should say always, but for a lot of years, you can tell this guy, I mean, this goes all the way back to Nixon, you know, where he was trying to make deals with China because they realized China's an extremely powerful nation. And, uh. Powerful because they steal information or powerful because of the volume of people? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, they, yeah, they're they're like the colossal copycats. You know, they they they'll they'll suck in. They're like a huge sponge. They'll suck in the resources yeah. and un- understandings of everybody, but they have this ability to take it and, and just move it. After that, it's it's almost like they're just they're the they're the kid on the corner that, that'll stand right next to a Dell's lemonade selling lemonade, and somehow make a buck. You know. Yeah. It, that they've been doing it for years. I mean, you remember, I don't know, you probably don't, but I remember back in like the late 70s and early 80s, Japanese cars and Japanese products were just like, oh man, you're buying Japanese? Yeah, I remember you know, that. Japanese sticks and this, that. And then over the years, the Japanese products began to be actually respected for their quality. But then it turned over to China. Everything started to be made in China. Yeah. You know, because they don't, they don't regulate things the way we do, and you know, yeah, I think we were talking about that too. We, we don't, oh yeah, we we don't pollute, but we'll send it over to China. They'll yeah, pollute. yeah, <laughs> they'll do it for us. Yeah. It's yeah. weird though; they've never really like acquired that same amount of respect like the Japanese product did. Right, we're still like, oh, it's made in China. Wow. Yeah, because I don't know the the Chinese. The Chinese are just like an underhanded, dirty. Like, they have, you've heard of Huawei phones? No. Huawei f- cell phones are, like, far superior to iPhones. Really? But they're legal in the United States because everything made in China is owned by the government. So there's, like, spyware embedded uh, into the phones so that they can listen and do whatever they need to. 
They're not allowed on any networks in the United States. But Huawei is a huge phone company. Okay, no, I've never heard of that. I, uh, when I worked up in Boston, again, back in Boston, I, uh, I was really surprised. There wasn't like a racial anger or like, oh, these stupid Chinese people. You know, it was nothing like that. It was just a surprise. Because like on the, on the movies and on all the stuff, you, you always see them bowing and always very polite and very respectful. Yeah. But like the reality is, uh, you'll be waiting, right? It's like, like if you're waiting for a subway in Boston, you kind of, you kind of know where the subway is going to stop. So if you, if you, you know, I used to take uh, the one up in, uh, I used to take the subway up to um, Sullivan, uh, uh, Sullivan Square, yeah, wherever it is, uh, up near the Shafts in, in uh, Charlestown. But I, I get on the subway on the Orange Line at like. Um, Back Bay Station, and uh, you kind of know where the door is gonna, you know, kind of stop. So you know, because it, it, it's always within like two or three feet of each. So I'd always like stand right at the place where the door is gonna open, so I can just get right in. And somehow five Chinese people will still get in before you. Yeah. It's like I'm standing right <laughs> here. Where did you people even come from? Yeah. And they'll just like push you right aside. I noticed that if you say something to them, like, hey, you know, which I, I very seldom did, uh, they will, like, they'll back off a lot of times anyway, and they'll, they'll kind of like go, oh, okay. But uh, if you don't say anything, they'll just jam right in front of you. Yeah. Like, uh, if they see a bus coming, and you'll be waiting right at the bus stop. And they'll, they'll see the bus coming, and like a gaggle of geese, they'll just come up, and they'll just, like, by the weight of their numbers, just push you back, and it's like, how did I not get a seat on this bus when I was standing right here? Yeah. You know, and it's just, there's so many of them. Like, rudeness, they don't consider rudeness. They're just like, yeah, hey, I think, we got we to gotta make that Because back in China, it's the same way. Yeah, and so that's what I've heard. And I think it's just the sheer volume of people. That's what they're used to, rubbing elbows and just get, get where you're there. Yeah. They're not assertive, you know. Yeah. I mean, China's a huge country, but they don't all live in those mountains. No. Most everybody lives in the city, city areas. Yeah. I mean, you got a city just jam-packed with millions of people. I mean, we think of New York and places in Chicago. There's nothing LA, compared Atlanta, to there. But those are just a few cities that do it here. But yeah. over there, all the cities are just, I mean, there's no rest. Yeah. You live in a building with a hundred other people at least. Yeah. You live in an apartment with a hundred other people at least. Oh, I was watching the video the other day. It was a building with like 10,000 tenants. This building was massive. That's crazy. I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is a city. Yeah. It's a city in this building. Yeah, yeah. You know? They've got their own community. They have to have their own police force. In the building. Yeah. 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 It's crazy. That's nuts. So, yeah, I mean, no, but, you know, China, years ago, they used to call it like a sleeping giant. It's not even sleeping anymore. I mean, President Trump, he really put the screws to him. Like, nope, this is the way it's going to happen, and this is the way it's going to happen, and you're not going to do this, and you're going to do this. It's like, go Trump, all right, yeah. yay Trump. And then Biden and comes in with this eraser, yeah. <laughs> so they, they just come in, you know, you know, everybody knows Biden's a joke. You know, it's, it's not even him running, running the show, but yeah, they're just, 
And, and besides that, I think his administration has been writing all the time. You know, just keep an eye on. For what do you think? Like to make America weak? To kind of usher in like a, a one world? You've got to drag America down? That's the main agenda. Yeah. If we go all the way up to the top, you know, you, you got to go to the power of Satan. You know, it's not the power of corporations and nations anymore, really. It's like the, the, the Antichrist spirit? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I think it is. The United States is still way too patriotic. I don't know. This last year was kind of... They dealt it down. They turned it down to four. Well, you, you see yeah. what all the stuff has done. Yeah. You know, there's so many people that hate our nation now, but they've been doing that for years. Uh, we, we get to see our beloved sports characters uh, totally disrespecting our nation. And, yeah. and then uh, we get to see CNN doing this. And then we, I mean, everything you see and everybody that's famous, all the Hollywood actors, like, you know, I used to like Ben Affleck years and years ago, but then when he started apologizing for being rich, I was like, you know, yeah. I'm so sorry. I'm a scumbag for being rich. Well, you might be a scumbag, but it's, it's not for being rich. Yeah. You know? yeah. Well, that's like 10 years ago, all those people were all kids. Yeah. And they were filling their heads with garbage, and like you say, with the whole one world government. I don't know if you, like, Follow any of the Disney movies at all? But yeah, there's this one recently, Raya and the Last Dragon. Yeah, yeah. And my wife was like, it doesn't seem like there's very much wrong with this. I was like, you're not catching the whole one world government thing going on here? Yeah. Like all the nations coming together? Yeah. And I was like, you didn't, you didn't catch they that? They separated, they had the, the tensions. Yeah. And the whole idea was the, the unity and harmony yeah. of man. It's a one world government. And it's all under the dragon. All under the dragon. Yeah. yeah. I, I was like, doesn't they talk about the dragon so, in the Revelation? Yeah, all under the dragon. Yeah, Satan, Satan the serpent, and then he turns to a dragon. It's like he defeated him so long he became a dragon. Yeah, in, the, in this movie, the shape of the land was actually the shape of the a dragon. dragon. So each there, there was like different nations within yeah. this area that were different parts of the dragon. Yeah. But the dragon got unified at the end. You know. Yeah, no, you're right. It's just yeah. world peace, you know. It's super deceptive, though. Like she's aware. It's like of embedding it into the kids. She's always paying attention, and then she was like, "There doesn't seem to be anything wrong with this." I was like, "It's humongous. It's in your face. Like it's so in your face. It's ridiculous how how bad it is." You know, I I think instinctively everybody on Earth, we we it's, it's weird because we have, for lack of a better word, tribal. Uh, tribalism. Yeah. Tribalism. Yeah. We've got this tribal mentality, and yet we all kind of instinctively know it's good to live in peace with everyone and everybody in harmony. And, you know, the Lord very clearly lets us know, well, the book of Revelation, you know, the, the, the scripture very clearly lets us know Christ will rule the entire world yeah. for a thousand years. That's a one world thing. You know, and he's the originator of the idea. Satan understands that and is, is going to do it first or try to do it first. It's going to fail horribly. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, he, he doesn't do anything originally. But he knows the idea is everyone comes together. I mean, it's a foregone conclusion if you watch any kind of futuristic sci-fi movie. The nations of the world have united like generations before like, you know, I grew up watching Star Trek, and that was the whole idea. The whole world was one 
unit. You know, there was no more need for money. There was no more need for religion. There was no more need for national barriers and lines and philosophies. You know, because we're all under the umbrella of humanity. And now we're exploring the stars and bringing our wonderful federation uh, or, or whatever mentality to the, you know the rest of the you know the aliens out on, on the universe. But yeah, it's a foregone conclusion that we're going to be unified. Yeah. Under a godless uh, socialist uh, situation, you yeah. know, and if, if you know, I I always loved Star Trek, but it wasn't until years and years and years later uh, that I was like, oh, wow. they're just they've been selling socialism through this show, and it's an extremely popular show, you know, and they they still have shows to this day. They're coming out with a brand new season of Star Trek Discovery and a brand new season of Star Trek Picard next year. You know, and Picard was like the big guy years and years ago, and he, you know, Patrick Stewart was an ancient man. I don't know why he's still acting, but I saw an interview by him, and he was promoting the new Picard show coming up just a couple of years ago. And he's like, oh, you know, this job, you know, this role gives me such joy. I can't tell you, every, every convention I go to, there's at least one person that comes up to me and says, Oh, thank you so much for the work you're doing. When I watch Star Trek, it gives me hope. And I was like, oh, man. You know, and, and mm-hmm. I like I like the actor. I like the show. I like Gene Roddenberry's ideas. But really, the truth is just a bunch of godless socialism. Yeah. You know, and that's all it is. That's what, the, and they're, what they're saying is it's a foregone conclusion. This is, this has got to happen on Earth in order for us to advance in the Godhead. Because uh, in the earlier parts of the, the Next Generation, the show that came out in like '87, again starring Patrick Stewart, um, that was one of the lines. Like he quoted Shakespeare. That uh, Shakespeare, I can't even remember what play it was. I have a whole book on Shakespeare. I thought I was pretty familiar with his work, but he quoted this one part. Maybe it was Hamlet. He might. I think he might have been quoting him. But he talked about us becoming gods. And it made this godlike thing. Did you guys ever watch Star Trek? Briefly. Well, there was this like godlike character named Q that gets introduced right now. QAnon? Huh? QAnon? No, no, yeah, QAnon, yeah. No, he's just Q. Yeah. He's part of the Q continuum anyway. He got really mad because he could see humans advancing. That was the whole idea. He wanted to try to keep humans down at the primitive levels because he could see them advancing into godhood. And that was that was the whole idea. It's like, oh, it's yeah. atheism, socialism. Yeah. It's like, and this is the show I like. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like there's nothing pure. There's absolutely nothing pure. But yeah, yeah they sell it to our kids. And then never mind what what is the actual teaching in the public schools nowadays? What are they teaching them? Thankfully, I don't know anybody with kids in the public schools, but. I can just imagine what they're saying, you know? Now, Abby has begged us to let her go to a, a school, you know. Because she, you know, we'll go by schools and she'll see the playgrounds and she'll see all the kids. Yeah. And she's so social. She just, yeah. just please, 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 can yeah. I go there? No way. You are not going to one of those yeah. schools. Yeah, it's poison. It's bad enough when I was a kid. Never mind now. Yeah. It's literally poison for your mind. See, I remember when Seeds I was, of poison that will just grow. They're ever watering yeah, yeah. again. 
I remember when I was a uh, when I was in first and second, you know, younger years. I never remembered at any time a teacher teaching me that uh, dinosaurs were millions and millions of years ago. I don't ever remember doing that. It wasn't until I was, I think, in fifth grade. I think it was fifth grade. It was a science class in fifth grade, just kind of fancying it out. The teacher, who is a devout Catholic, because he lived in a primarily Italian neighborhood, and she she was just under every everyone went to church. Everyone, everyone was very religious and very sincere in in their in their religion too. And you know, good folks uh, generally. And uh, you know, I I love living down there. You know, with, with, the, uh, with these people because up here in Mosaga, it was like such a different atmosphere. That's where we first lived. Then we moved down there, and it was a very tight knit Italian community. And everybody knew each other and. It's it just really a great place to live, at least back in the 80s. And uh, so I went to school with, like, you know, almost 100% Catholic kids. After school, they all went to CCD. And then I'll be like, aren't you going to CCD? I'm like, no, why not? I'm like, I'm not Catholic. And they're just kind of like, you're not Catholic. I mean, is there anything but Catholic? Yeah. I mean, that's all they do. Yeah. You know, that, that was their whole life to me. Uh, you know, trying to explain what Protestantism is, and it was like way over their head. It couldn't get it. But uh, the teacher, her name, I still remember her name, Mrs. Ruggieri, she was a devout Catholic sitting there teaching us about millions of years ago, the you know, where, where the dinosaurs were, 265 million years ago, you know, when the Tyrannosaurus Rex lived. And I was just, I was like blown away. I was like, wow. Because, you know, I loved science even back then. So I, I ran home. I said, Mom, you know, uh, dinosaurs lived millions of years ago. And she said, how do you know? You know, and that was, I mean, I had never, my parents had never dealt with it because down south, uh, I don't ever remember anybody teaching me that. It wasn't until we moved up north, until I got into the fifth grade, that I ever even heard that idea that the earth could even be so old. And so, you know, she just started very calmly saying, well, how do you know that's true or not? Well, my first answer was, we learned it at school. I mean, obviously, they're not going to teach us lies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so little did I know. Right? You know, but yeah, they're, they're just, just telling it as fact. Uh, they're not presenting it as theory at yeah. all. It's fact. Yes, this is an absolute fact. And so she kind of talked me through it. She's like, well, that's what a lot of people believe, but, you know, we believe, according to what the Bible says, and when she tied the Bible into it, then then I was able to kind of like, oh, oh yeah, wait a minute, if Adam and Eve were real, and if you, you know, just kind of do a rudimentary mathematics back to them, well, then they couldn't have been. You know, all of a sudden, yeah. the whole idea started developing in my fifth grade brain. Okay, yeah, that doesn't make sense then. Because there couldn't be millions of years if Adam and Eve were created only less than 10,000 years ago. Okay. And so all that started working then. And, but yeah, now they're, they're teaching one-year-olds. Uh, not one-year-olds, but first graders. You're just telling them straight They're not only teaching that, they're teaching, you're not a boy yet. You don't know what you are. You don't have to choose right now. Yeah. That's awesome. That's 
It's like you won't even let your kids get dressed on their own and decide what they're going to eat for lunch. And you want them to decide their sexuality? Are you smoking crack? It's like, good night. What happened to you in fifth grade happened to some of us at 25. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 You know, like it took me until actually finding God to start going through and questioning some of these things and going. And by this time, be right. so settled in. Yeah, and you have to, you have to fight. You have to fight. You got to hold on to the truth, and you know, use it to discern whether or not certain things are real or not. Yeah, you literally have to like pry these lies out of your mind, like out of the soil of your embedded mind of what was taught, to get them out. You know, the crazy thing with me, uh, though, is you're right. I, I did have the benefit of godly parents who were able to just sit down with me and say, you know, this isn't right. Yeah. They had they, in those days they kind of had a little choice of to you know send us to public school. Uh, they didn't they didn't have enough money to put us in private school. But uh, that didn't happen until I was in church and you hear people that you know if you don't believe in the oneness of God, you know, you're going to hell kind of stuff. And that really disturbed me and I started thinking, this is all just a bunch of bull crap. You know? And, and I there's one side of me that said, dude, that's very disrespectful. You can't do that, you know. And there's a, another side of me that's like, this is all just a bunch of foolishness. You've got one group here saying you're gonna to go to hell unless you have our ideology. Another group over here saying you're going to go to hell unless you have our ideology. And I was just like, it's all a bunch of foolishness. This, this is just... And so I was just like, you know what, I don't, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't ever really believe in the Trinity. And I didn't, you know, but I really questioned the whole idea of the oneness. And I, I started, that led to things like, well, if, if the oneness isn't true, then is Jesus really divine? And that led to 
Whoa. Okay, so you, you dip someone in a tank of water and you magically pronounce the name of Jesus over them. What is that going to do? So those are the thoughts that started running through my head. And then I got to the point where, is there even a God? Is it really just all made up? Is it is it just like carefully crafted stories? I think it's important that everyone gets to that point yeah. to question if there's a God. God's got to bring it to us. Yeah. Right? Before you can... Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I listen to guys like, you know, Jordan Peterson, and I really enjoy what he has to say, but but he tells all these biblical stories from a mindset of... They're just stories. Yeah. yeah. We were, we're evolved creatures. Uh, I don't ever remember him ever coming straight out and saying, there is no God. But he very clearly says, okay, we're going to come from the premise that we have evolved over literally 1.5 billion yeah. years. Uh, you know, and so the antiquity of man goes so far back that you, you can't even fathom it. And that's kind of his premise. So I like what he has to say a lot of times, but that's where he's coming from, which is, and so when I was a teenager, I'd gotten to that point myself. Well, maybe these are just really good stories, good life lessons that people way, way, way back learned, and they, 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 they pushed it ahead. You know, you know, I, I imagine a bunch of cavemen sitting around a fire telling stories. You know, and that they would learn things through life experiences, and they would come up with fairy tales to, to push this through. Those are ideas that I, you know, that I thought could be possible. But you're right. You know, I think everybody's got to get there because it's like the trying of your faith. Look at patience. The trying of your faith literally means what you believe is actually challenged. The good news about all that is I came out of that era actually getting revelation. And I realized there was a huge difference between God Almighty himself revealing himself to you and just what you learn as a doctrine. And these are in two different camps. And I think my life since those days, you figure, you know, almost 30 years now, has been a struggle to help people learn. You know, I used to tell my Sunday school kids. I started teaching Sunday school travel around 20, 21 years old. And then I started teaching in the, the church travel when I was 24-ish, 25. And I started pastoring when I was 28. So since those early 20s, it's like I've been trying to trying to share this idea of there's a big difference in our doctrines and what God reveals. And it doesn't mean God's ever going to reveal himself and say, oh yeah, by the way, all that wonder stuff is foolish. He's not going to do that. But he, he does, you know, God does this, I shouldn't say weird thing, but he does this thing where he'll come to a Trinitarian, and this is what we don't like to think about. This is something I had to learn through experience. He'll come to a Trinitarian, if they really, really, really want God and are looking for God, he'll reveal himself. And what I've learned is we get these stubborn things in our head, like, well, God's format is a trinity. He's three persons. So they'll start seeing God, and they'll start talking about God. And you'll listen to them and you'll say, that sounds exactly like what I believe. Yeah. But you say you're a trinitarian. And I'm a oneness. So we don't believe the same thing, and yet the way you're talking about what you've seen from God sounds so much like what God has shown me. Well, it's because the one true God 
is showing himself, but we still get these stubborn foundational things. I'm not saying get rid of doctrine. I, I, I've never preached that. The idea is, you know, get rid of the of the religion of it. Get rid of the tradition of that. Yeah, that's, you know, it prevents us from unifying. Huh? It prevents unity. Yeah, all all these like, doctrinal issues separate people. But they, you know, and each group, at least in the old days, you've seen a lot of that fall apart nowadays. But in the old days, each group would basically say, "Well, we're the only ones right." But really, if you're not like us, some groups would come right right out and say, "You're not saved," and other groups would be like, "Well, you might be saved, but there's a lot of things that are wrong in your life, and you're never going to get success, or you're never going to, you know, have the favor of God in your life if you don't believe exactly like us." I remember when I was a kid, I, uh, I, you know, I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and I didn't know there was anything else. I would always ask my, my parents, why is there a church across the street? Because, you know, back in the day, Memphis was known as the city of churches. Literally, a church on every corner. I mean, just, the church is full. I mean, the, the city's full of churches of every kind. And we we, uh, we went to the Gray Road Church. I mean, it was named after the road we were on. <laughs> the Gray Road Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And right across the street was a Lutheran church. And I didn't know what Lutheran was. But... Uh, and it was also a, uh, a black church. Unfortunately, in those days in Tennessee, uh, blacks and whites didn't go to church together. They, so it was a Lutheran church, which was different than ours. Was there black people in your church? A few. A few, a few but yeah. most of them went to what we call the mission church, All which right. was pastored yeah. by David Johnson. And my dad worked in that church a lot, too. He would actually pick up a lot of, uh, a lot of boys from the inner city and bring them to church. And, but that's where all, all the black folks went. And the only white people in that church were usually ministers. And then over in the Gray Road Church, you had a scattering of black people, but not many. So even in our, in our situation, it was segregated. We had another church that was affiliated at Daughterwork out of the Gray Road Church. That was the black church. You call it that. You call it the mission church. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But that's what it was, and everybody knew it. And there was plenty of people in the Gray Road Church that wouldn't have wouldn't have stood for too many black people being in the church. It's so wrong. Uh, oh, it is yeah. wrong, absolutely. But it was also normal. So growing up as a kid, it was normal to only go to church with white people, or almost only white people. Yeah. So the church across the street, though, I knew because they were black, and you know, maybe. That's why there's a different church over there. But I also knew that they weren't affiliated with us because we never fellowshiped with them. And, you know, the, you know, the, there was no, absolutely no fellowship between the two churches at all. I mean, we'd be showing up to church at 10 o'clock. They'd be showing up to church at 10 o'clock. There's nobody waving saying, praise the Lord, yeah. or nothing like that. So I knew there was like this separation. So there was times I'd ask my parents, what's that church like? They're right, they're right across, literally across the street. Like, what's that church? You know, and they were like, oh, well, that, that's just a different kind of church. They believe a little different than us. And so this idea started creeping into my mind. I heard my Uncle Bill one time talking to my dad about those, those Catholics and those Mormons. And, and that, that kind of gave me a, a bigger understanding. Well, there's, there's a bunch of groups out there that are not like us. 
And then when I started to understand, there's man, there's a lot of groups yeah. that aren't like us. And so man, I was really concerned. We were driving home from church one day, and uh, I leaned up on the back the back seat uh, of our car. It, you know, the, it was a old mobile sedan. It was just a one big bench front seat. And so I leaned up on the seat and I said, "Dad, who's right?" And he chuckled a little bit. And he said, well, we are. And I, I just remember going, oh. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, thank God we're in the right church. Right? You know, and it was such a relief that, oh, out of all yeah. these groups, we're the ones that are right. Yeah. You know, and you know, I had no idea that everybody said the same thing. Yeah. But it wasn't until years later that my dad said, uh, well, there's some there's some churches that believe if you're not in your church, you're not saved. And I remember saying, "That's so stupid." And and my dad just kind of did this shrug, like, "Yeah." Now he didn't tell me who they were. He didn't say like, "See, I in my mind I thought individual churches, like this church says that." Thinking everybody in the world can't go to one church. I mean, I, I even knew that then. Yeah. I mean, I got really scared one time. We were having a revival service at um, at our church, and this was a normal thing down south where uh, a visiting minister would come. He might come and preach for six weeks straight, or in some cases, maybe three months and six months straight, and almost every night of the week was church. Wow. And people would show up to church like every night of the week. And uh, this, uh, this preacher evangelist would just preach and preach and preach and preach and uh, night after night after night. Well, we were in one of these revival things. I think this was more like a, a smaller one, like a six-week revival. But I just remember... A small six-week revival. Yeah. Well, that's what they call, they yeah. call them, revival. Yeah. They schedule these things like that. I don't remember who the preacher was. I was just a little kid. I was probably no older than six. I'm pretty sure this is, this is before I got the Holy Ghost. But I remember... Yeah, the church was packed, it was crowded. He must have been a big name preacher. And I thought it was really cool because we got to go to church every night and play with the church kids because there's a ton of church kids. And so, you know, we got to see our friends and play with our friends every single night. And um, so that was, that was kind of cool for us. But I remember sitting in one of those services and he preached on, uh, you know, the widest of gate and, you know, broad the way to destruction and all this. And, and to talk about how few are saved. And I remember looking at him. There had to have been six, seven hundred people jammed into this building. And uh, it could only comfortably hold like six hundred, but there had to have been more than that. Because I remember they put folding chairs down the aisles on the side of the pews, and there, there was like standing room only in the foyer. And, you know, it was just people jammed, packed in this place. And I, I remember looking at him going, there's a heck of a lot of enemies. I didn't expect that in my mind then, but like, there's a lot of people here. I mean, if only a few are going to be saved, I mean, that means there's people in this room right here that aren't going to make it. Yeah. And I got really scared. And I was like, if only a few people are going to be saved, I mean, my goodness. You know, because I, could, I couldn't imagine, like, you know, the world's population, uh, you know, and a few is, is a relative number. I couldn't, all I could think of is a few, or like, if you had a a box of marbles, a few were like a handful. Yeah. So it's like, that's a lot of people. This is, this is the most people I've ever seen in one church setting. And if only a few of us are going to be saved, 
And how many does that actually mean? 10, 15, 20? And I got really scared and I was disturbed about that. And all these things were worked on throughout the years. And I think those ideas are what really pushed me to, to go to the altar, you know, and really seek the Holy Ghost and things like that. And a lot of it was fear. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, you, you, you've got, you know, so many things going on. So when I realized there were so many groups out there, then I got, you know, more scared. But later in my teenage years, it, it led me to the idea of this. Really, is there one group that's right above everybody else? So, you know, I would have conversations with my dad, and he'd be like, well, there are some churches. And again, I would think individual churches. But I think he meant more organizations, that there are certain organizations that believe, unless you're part of them, you're really not saved. And this was not until, I think, 2008. You guys ever heard of Wayne Humphreys? Yeah. Great, great preacher. Awesome, awesome man of God, awesome preacher. But I, uh, Brother Rutledge, I think it was Brother Rutledge, he gave me the CD. It was like a hundred messages, all on one CD, and they were all really, really good. And just, just like every big name preacher you can think of was on there, going back, like spanning back forty years or more. And Wayne Huntley was on there, and he was preaching some big conference, and he was. He's like, yeah, you know, I, I met a man one time. He was obviously apostolic, and we were having a good conversation. And uh, he, you know, he re he revealed that he was a, a part of another group, and and he was really trying to convince me. Oh, we're we're the same as you guys. We're brothers. We're the same as you guys. He goes, yes, you know. And what I always wondered was, if he was the same as us, then why is he a part of us? And I I like pointing out that I really like his preaching, and that disappointed me. Yeah, for sure. I was like, are you saying everybody's got to be UPC? Yeah. Never mind just apostolic, but you've got to be UPC. And I was just like, wow, that that thing is really, really a, a true deal. I think that's like a sour taste in God's mouth. It really is. Yeah. That you have to be part of one group, one organization within like a, a belief system. But um, do you, not to put you on the spot, do you think Trinity versus oneness? Is a heaven or hell issue? Because I mean, I think there's people that are Trinity that are just confused in their understanding, but they truly love God. They probably receive the Holy Ghost. There has to be people out there like that that think they're doing right, and I think if they're following the Bible, they might just not have that cloud revealed, or not even I shouldn't even say revealed because maybe the people just see it different because of their environment in which they were brought up. But I mean, if they're truly following the Bible, do you think that thought of Trinity is a heaven or hell issue? Personally, I know a lot of do. I don't either. I don't. Now, I preach, I, well, I shouldn't say I preach, I teach oneness. Yes. Uh, especially when the Lord tells me to do so. But I don't hammer against Trinitarians. I will say it's, it's, it's false doctrine. Yeah. It's not true. God is based not. on paganism. Yeah, it's it's not. Uh, God is not in three persons. But you know, like I said before, I heard I've heard so many people. Like one of my my favorites is John Revere. I really like John Revere. Or at least more in the old days. These days I haven't listened to him much, but I listened to this tape series on the Holy Spirit that he made. Like a six tape series, and really really good. Now he really pushed at the beginning of the series. Okay, we're 
This series is going to focus on the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I was just like, all right, okay, I like John Breer, so I'll just, I'll just listen to it. By the time, by the time I got to the end of that, I'm like, dude, you're preaching oneness. Yeah. And so, <laughs> they all do that. Yeah. So you agree with me? Yeah. So, you know, I, you know, I took it to the Lord, but like, what is, what is going on? And the Lord showed me. I've revealed myself to this man, but he's got that stubborn doctrine embedded that says I have to be in three persons. So in his spirit, he's seeing me, but in his natural mind, all he's seeing is he's, he's laying everything down on the template of a doctrine. Carnal. carnal. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's exactly the same thing happens with one of people. Uh, I've known a lot Just of... Just in reverse. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a different idea. But I've known a lot of oneness people that will uh, adhere to a doctrine called Jesus only. Well, I have a problem with Jesus only. Because the Bible never preaches Jesus only. Yeah. You know, and I know where it comes from. Jesus is the one God. Do I believe that? Yeah, I do. But I, see, I'm, I'm a little ornery sometimes. And I like to trip the people up. Only to get them thinking. Yeah. You know, only to get It's them like what thinking. comedians do. They kind of like give you a weird preface or yeah, premise. Uh, a, a, yeah. A point of view that's just way out there. Yeah. So, like, uh, years ago, I, I, I would say things like, I, uh, I don't believe in once saved, always saved, but I do believe in the eternal security doctrine. Well, that would just really jazz people. Like, yeah, <laughs> same thing. No, not in my mind. I yeah. believe we're eternally secure in Jesus Christ. I just don't necessarily believe that a person who has been saved will necessarily always be saved unless they keep walking the road. You know, but so then once they've always saved in their case would be true. Yeah. Until you fall. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's not true anymore. And it's yeah. not true anymore. <laughs> yeah. Unless you keep the faith. So I, I would another statement like that I would do is I'd say, um, Jesus is God. But God it's not, Jesus. it's not necessarily all Jesus. Yeah. And people are like, oh, oh, what are you? It's, you know, okay, so let's break it down, you know. God is the immortal, eternal, you know, uh, infinite God. He's omnipotent, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent. Yeah, I mean, he's just the mighty God, he's the creator. He's, uh, yes, he's our father, and, uh, and all, all this stuff, and, and yes, Jesus is God, but Jesus is the salvation of God. Jesus is like, God is peace, God is love, God is joy, and God is salvation. Jesus is the embodiment of the word of salvation. He's the embodiment of the word of God itself, but specifically his name means the salvation of Jehovah. So, the idea of Jesus is not all of God. Because that would be like saying God only exists to save us. In that case, we would have come first and invented God. Yeah. Which I don't believe happened. Yeah. It's God who made us. So God cannot be defined in totality with one aspect that can only be related to us. Yeah. There's got to be a part of God, and that might be that all God all in all scripture in first Corinthians fifteen. There's got to be a part of him that is, I hate to say it this way, but there's got to be a part of God that has nothing to do with us. He's just God all by himself. Yeah. 
and he's God all by himself regardless if we exist or not. Right. He was God all by himself before we existed. Yeah, so there's got to be... Like, we existed in him before the foundations of the world. Right. So we were a part of him. He wasn't had nothing to do with us. We yeah. were just part of him. And, and we were the little literal stardust. Yeah, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? We, 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 you know, we were the twinkle in his eye, you know. But, uh, so in, in that case, I, that's the reason why I will throw some statements out there to get people trying to kind of work that out. And not just in their brain, but try to work it out in the spirit and, and seek God for revelation. So there's a reason why I don't like the idea of Jesus only. It's like, hard to work that out, though. It is. I'm, it is. I'm, I'm, I'll ask God about it all the time because I, I told my wife on the way here, I was like, I'm not sure. I, I don't understand fully. It's not, I know God is showing me something, but I can't fully comprehend it. I can't, I know it's there in front of me, you know, and I, but I can't grab a hold of it as tightly as I'd want to spiritually or mentally. You know, it's not. It's well, not see, it normally what would happen is like a man of God, you know, would say, okay, well, what, what's your question? Let me teach you the truth. Yeah. And what I've learned down through the years is that's fine. I, I, you know, in my experiences and whatnot, I can, I can tell, I can help maybe people that have questions, but really, it's just like when Jesus said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. In other words, Jesus is admitting my teachings even didn't reveal this to me. Mm -hmm. It had to be a revelation. From God. So the, and if it was Jesus only, someone else revealed it to him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, no, if it was Jesus only doctrine, Jesus didn't reveal that to him. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. But if it was Jesus only, then he did. Yeah, but he just said he didn't. Well, that's, it can't be. It's impossible. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, you know, my, my advice in situations like that is, you know, I, it's not even advice. I think it's just truth all the way. Is the most important thing you can do is to ask God for revelation. Ask God to show Him to you, you know, because it's not a mental thing, you know. Uh, I mean, I, even coming to God is not a mental thing. No man comes to the Father except He draws Him. Yeah. So you can't even make it onto Him on your own, even if you had the full truth you and the full Bible, you know? You're never going to do the math and say, Judeo to Christianity, that's the way. Yeah. Oh, okay, Jesus is the way. Okay, you know, it, it's never going to happen. Now, even Paul didn't get it. No, he didn't. You know, is it true? Who was, I always forget his name, but there was a, there was a physicist, and I'm talking one of these physicists 100 years ago. There's a physicist that actually came to the knowledge of Jesus Christ through what he studied in the universe. But at the same time, it still has to be God that revealed himself in all that. It couldn't, it couldn't just be Making experiments and writing out equations on a, on a whiteboard somewhere that that caused them to say, "Ah, Jesus is the one true God." No, because yeah. that would that would be we have the power in our minds to. And your carnal mind, mind would never lead you there. It never will. No, no, the carnal mind cannot be. It's subject set to war against war God. God. It's set to war against God. Yeah, yeah. There's no rewiring it. Total enemies with God. So, well, see, that's where I was when I was. I was trying to figure everything with my head, and it didn't make sense. Mm -hmm. There's just so many things that didn't add up. You know, I would listen to guys like George Carlin, and even though he was a comedian, he was also a philosopher, and he would come up with some 
good argument. Some whoppers. Yeah, and I'd be like, yeah. Because I've always loved comedy, and I've always loved comedians, and so I would like, listen to guys like that, and guys like him would be like really challenging. It's like, oh, this guy's really, really smart. He obviously he's, he's a lot older than I am, so he must have figured out a few things. But what I hadn't figured out is you can't figure it out, you know. And but on the other on the other far end of that spectrum, I used to listen to this guy Chuck Missler all the time. Now Chuck Missler is kind of a evangelical Calvary Chapel type doctrine guy. The guy literally had he died in 2018, but he had like a 200 IQ. One of the highest IQs ever recorded. I think there's some guy in Korea that uh, recorded as like 210. And they say he's like the smartest guy in the world, you know, or at least the highest IQ. So, I mean, at least for modern man, I don't know how it was in the days of Adam, but at least for modern man, that's pretty much going to be the limit of our IQ. You know, 200, 210, you know, somewhere in that range. You know, my IQ's like 120, so I'm like way below those guys. And so this guy, you know, 200 IQ, but he believes in the Trinity. And, I, you know, it, that just kind of lets you know intelligence doesn't do it. It doesn't matter how smart you are. And it doesn't matter how dumb you are either. I mean, I don't think anybody's dumb. This is my personal thing. I think God made everybody smart. But, I mean, even like just smart Down syndrome is kind of like a step removed from reality. Yeah, because it's a problem. Yeah. It, it's definitely a problem. I wouldn't say it's dumb, though. I'd just say it's kind of removed. Like we and Tab were at the post office the other day, and there was a, a Down syndrome girl in the front seat, and I was just like, kind of glanced at her, and it's almost like it's a. I told Tab it's like a someone's trapped inside of a shell that's not quite functioning like it should be. This is like I wonder. I wonder why God allows something like that just to continue on. Like, is it is it a safe soul? Isn't it an example? It has to be a soul because the living being, you know what I mean. But like, what's God's purpose in that? I mean, not that there's an answer, but it's just like. Yeah, I don't. I don't have an answer. Yeah. yeah. But the gospel in its simplicity is able to be received yeah. by that person. Usually, yep. it was never like you said. It's not a mental thing. Yeah. It's, it's something that somebody can receive. Yeah, it's true. I mean, again, intelligence quotient is not the best measuring stick anyway. Because, you know, I, I think people are intelligent. I think every person on the planet is intelligent. Uh, some people are physically intelligent. Some people are emotionally intelligent. Some people are intelligent in, say, math. Others intelligent in language. You know, I think everybody's got their specialty. So when I say dumb, I don't really even think there's dumb people. But if you're just measuring by IQ, yeah, some people have an 80 IQ. It doesn't mean they're invalid. You know, and it doesn't mean they can't be saved. They have enough, and God's given them a measure of faith in their heart that they can, they can come to Jesus. So He, if, I mean, if God based it on intelligence, that would be totally cool. Yeah, totally cool. And, and so it's just all well, that wouldn't be created equally then. Right, right, yeah. I mean, that there there wouldn't be an equal opportunity to to come as you are and find and, you know and be found, you know. So yeah, there, there's there's that whole thing. So everybody, it, it really comes down to a choice whether I'm going to or not. And uh, you know, again, back to those days when I was, I, I kind of peaked out when I was 17. Of I was I was teeter totter. 
Do I believe in God? Do I not? Am I going to give up this Christian fairy tale? Or, you know, am I just going to separate the things within it that I think are fairy tales? And so I, was that what it was? It wasn't like a believe in God or don't believe in God. Was it like a believe in God <clears throat> or keep just the good stuff to help me be a better person? I, I was trying to decide what really to do. Like, do I give up any God belief at all? Or do I give up only those things which I think are probably foolish? And just keep the basic shell of, okay, there's, there's a creator God yeah. that I don't understand, you know, which, which I did. You know, I, I kind of went that way. And I know it was God helping me too. It wasn't like I'm sitting around, hmm, I'm going to make a logical change. Really wasn't that. But even if, even though I thought that's what was happening, in retrospect, that's not what was happening. So it started off, okay, I'm going to give God a chance type thing. And we'll, and this is just the grace and mercy of God. Instead of like flicking me into hell, he said, okay, all right, I'm going to start revealing myself to him because he wants to know. And little by little, the revelation would come in. Revelation would come in. And within the space of about at a maximum of like two or three years. I those years were major years of revelation. And I just stuff just would you know, I'd just be like waking up out of sleep and stuff would just come to me. Stuff that I hadn't read or even thought about since I was a kid. Stuff I'd read in the Bible when I was like seven or eight. And something would just gel. Oh, okay. That's why that happens. And you know, and questions would start to answer. I mean, the questions back in those days. I, I hit one snag when I was 18 in this process. Because the, when the devil sees Revelation, he starts attacking. He really does. I hit a major snag when I was 18. I had graduated high school, and I had no prospects in life. Well, I did, you know, but I I didn't have the money to go to college. And I, uh, I think I, I think I was working a job, but I knew the money I was making at like five fifty an hour was never going to pay my way through any kind of a school. And my parents absolutely had no money uh, to send me to college, and uh, they, they had nothing. They just and my dad had gotten sick. Uh, he had to quit working, and my my last year in high school. I actually went there for free because the school let me go there for free because they wanted me to go and graduate there. So I, I went to my last year free. You know, and, was, and I know, again, that was the hand of God because my parents could not have even so much as put me through my senior year at Christian school, never mind college. So I was just like, what do I do? Um, I, I hated the idea of getting a loan that I was going to have to pay back for still half the rest of my life. And uh, I was just really depressed. And at the same time, my my dad was, I mean, half, I mean, he was like on death's threshold for months. And I got angry. Like, you know, this is the most righteous, honest, godly man I know. Why are you doing this to me? So, you know, right right here, right up there at that, that platform right there, Brother Jeffers had me come up and he just started talking to me. You're angry at God. And you're angry at God because he's allowed this righteous man to go with you. And he just read my mail. 
I had no, I had nowhere to go. I couldn't say, no, you're wrong, because obviously he was right. And he just, he just began to pray for me, and this stuff, I just started weeping, and I'm, I'm not like a big crier, but man, I was weeping that day. It just, snot and tears just rolling out of me, and this stuff just kind of washed out of me. That kind of got me back on that road, you know, getting more and more revelation. You know, by the time I was probably 20, you know, that kind of era, that era kind of stopped a little bit, but yeah, I was, I was fully a believer again, you know, but it, it took those years of questioning. Like, are you even real? You know, I don't understand. So yeah, I mean, he, he does talk to you. And, and my dad was a great teacher. My mom was a great teacher, but their teachings couldn't teach me the truth. Uh, unless God revealed it to me, you know. And, I, and that's where it comes, and that's, that's what I try. That's what we try to do here. We're trying to get people connected to the living God, because he's the only one that can really... Yes, please read your Bible. Yes, pray, but it's the conjunction of the Spirit and the truth together that's going to make it happen. You know. Anyway, now I feel like I'm lecturing. Yeah, you're good. I feel like that. Yeah, no, I mean, it's 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 not a short process either. It takes a while. Uh, I think that's what Isaiah is talking about. Isaiah 28. Line upon line, it's precept upon precept. He's got to give you these really... Here a little, there a little. Yeah, here a little, there a little, yeah. It's not all here. It's not all there. You know, it's, yeah. it's here and there, but it's only here and there a little bit. Yeah. It's You get little, little tiny nuggets. It's like... It's like Trying to catch dandelion spore, you know, just you know, you can't catch them all once the wind blows them away. You know, you're, you're trying to snag little tiny bits out of the air. You know, it's sometimes it's frustrating. Like God, why can't you show me? You know, and I I imagine foolishly, man, I can't wait until I get up to the level of my dad, where you know you pretty much know everything. <laughs> uh, I'm almost the age, you know, in, in another, say, four years, I'll be the age my father was when he died. And that, that, like, that kind of, every time I think of that, it wakes me up like, wow. My dad, my dad died at the age of 53. Let me turn at 49 this year. So it's like, I'm only like four years away from my dad's age when he died at the very end. It's like, and if, and if I have anywhere near his experiences, or, or understanding these other things. So that means, man, he didn't know. He, he, he didn't know everything. He's nowhere near me. I know for a fact that I don't, I feel like I've scratched the surface, maybe, of the things of God. It's like, there's so much. So, I mean, I've got more questions now than I did back when I was 17. Those are just the basics. You know, the oneness of God and Jesus named baptism. And is this spirit stuff really, is it really just stuff we make up? When I'm speaking in tongues, am, am I making it up? I, I used to think that because even in all that time, I could still speak in tongues. I could still come to church, pray at the altar, and speak in tongues. And that got me thinking, is, is just this a mind game? Am I playing tricks on my own mind? Yeah. But that's why I'm true believers go yeah. through a lot of those questions. You need to. I think. Yeah. 
They're not ready to just settle. I'm not just going here because I'm going here. Yeah. I'm, I'm going here because I believe something to be true. Yeah. And in my walk with God, I want it to be solidified. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, and just you, you pass those points. Well, like you said, if you're trying to bring people to those places so that they can work out their salvation with God, that's the whole idea, right? Yeah. And, well, the good news is, is God will show, you know, when, you're, when you've got that kind of attitude, God's going to show you the answer. You know, it may come from some really weird sources. You know, and, and I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm, I will never preach ecumenism. Like, oh, we're all just brothers of Islam. You know, you know, you can pick up pieces of truth here. And, and, you know, I, you know, I studied under a guru and I learned from God. And I won't ever say that because there is a devil and he will trick us if we let him. But sometimes truth happens that, you know, it kind of like comes to us in ways that you never expect, you know. You know, you you've got at least one child, right? Yeah, two. Two two children. Yeah, you can you'll just be watching your children one day and Oh yeah. Yeah. Massive revelation. Wow. It's funny, I've I've gone to correct my daughter and God correct me the same time I'm correcting her. Yeah. I'm that I'm that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I wanted you to see that this is how I felt about this particular situation. Yeah. And I'm like, wow. And that's major that's revelation. Not good. Yeah. So, no, it's it's not good, but not good in the sense time. like oh oh I didn't realize I was doing that I didn't realize that that was that much of a problem, but you can see based on how you want to deal with your child, God feels that way about certain things. He didn't want to have to discipline you like that all the time, right? You know, yeah, it's funny it's funny you say that too because um, a couple of weeks ago I was talking to Brother Jeffers, and uh, my wife comes in the office where I, where we were talking. And I had him on speakerphone, and she just came in here to say hi. Like, hey, how you doing? And uh, for the next half an hour, he just ministered to her. Just, you know, that one little hey, how you doing? Just opened up this channel because you know, uh, you know, she she needed some things from God, and you know, and it didn't come through me, mm-hmm. and, you know. And uh, that was one of the things he was saying. He goes, well, you know how it works. He's like, you, there's, you love your daughter, but you have to correct her, and sometimes you get so frustrated. With, with how she treats you, and he's like, you gotta understand, your heavenly father feels the same way about you. It was funny that you're saying that because he was saying that very thing to my wife just a couple of weeks ago. Like, it's so true, so true. You know, we, we can learn a lot just from being a father about our heavenly father, and it's it's not insignificant revelation. It's huge, yeah. huge revelation. You know, and you know, I I will say. That years ago, 2014, I think it was, I started getting into this new age and stuff, but not as like I want to practice and believe, but because I started, it started off by hearing things like, like certain experiments that people would do, and uh, learning about, you know, like, you know, hearing things about the aura, which whenever you say the word aura, immediately I, I get turned off with that. But you know, from like a scientific point of view, they they catalog or they categorize this like there is an energy field around us. Some people say, well, it's a magnetic field. We literally have a magnetic field around our bodies. Like we're we're technically 
uh, kind of a, a magnet ourselves. We, we, we have poles. It kind of comes right out of the top of our head and kind of goes around through, through our torso, you know. And I thought that was, you know, so so is this aura just a magnetic thing? No. You know, is it is is it some way that we as in the in the physical world can see the spirit? You know, and uh some people suggest that there's a life force that surrounds us that extends about eight feet out from us. I don't know if that's eight feet in diameter, which means only four feet from but the idea is us sitting this close, our spirits are overlapping. And I found that kind of intriguing. Because you know, spiritual things work uh and connect just like physical things, you know. And when people come into greater proximity to each other, uh things work better and the connections better like I use this example, and I, and I found other things like um, if you if, if I see you guys hug, there's oxytocin released in both of you guys. But if I see it, oxytocin gets released into my system too. Even though you're not involved. Even though I didn't actually have to hug you guys, but I'm watching you guys have a have a a real you know moment there just for a second, and I'm taking a benefit. And it's the same thing if if, if I see someone give gift to someone else. Well, the giver has good those good chem, chemicals released. The givee has good chemicals released, and anybody observing it does too. Everybody enjoys it. I think that's the reason why at Christmas time, it's, it's always such like this, like, because you're not just getting gifts. You're watching your kids open up gifts, or you're watching people give gifts, and, and it's like when everybody's got a a present to open, it's it, it's like it has to be a joyous time. Because, you know, everybody's giving everybody a gift. And, you know, I, I don't think we have to limit the gift just to Christmas. But anyway, I have my own ideas about Christmas I won't get into now. But anyway, I will say at a time like that, it's always going to be, everybody's going to feel good. You can't help but not feel good yeah. when everybody's giving stuff to each other, you know. And, yeah. That's the way it works. You know, so learning stuff like that, I realized there's a lot more to us. Because why would my why would my feel-good chemicals fire off if, if I'm just an individual? What do I, realistically, what do I care if you guys uh, are are, are uh, really close in friendship or whatever? What, what would I care? It's not me. You know, like the selfish nature of the human is like, well, that's no benefit to me. So why would I feel good seeing it? It means there's a bigger connection somewhere. And, uh, you know, I get into, got into all these things, studying things like ayahuasca and psilocybin, you know, uh, mushrooms and all, all these different kind of things. And, you know, I've never touched it myself, but studying the effects and studying people that, you know, even from a scientific approach. And that, this led into kind of like these new age beliefs you know, learning about uh, the mystical nature of water, and then learning about uh, other related things, and finding out. I, I I was watching this one documentary, and I I find it so intriguing even to this day. Um, this guy had these. Uh, it was just a cup of yogurt. That's all it was. It was yogurt. He had these like leaves stuck, two leaves stuck in to the yogurt, and it was hooked up to like just a regular meter. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. The it, music comes on and the, and the blob comes to life. Yeah. You know? No, no, no. It was just, it was, it was just these like uh, little like uh, kind of like these pointy leads. Instead of you know, sticking them to your body, he just kind of put them into this cup of yogurt, and it's just attached to a very simple meter. Uh, and the meter was supposed to read like I don't know what it was reading. I don't know if it was a minute electrical response or something. Well, um, the experiment was this guy that was doing the experiment, and he said, "Okay, well, talk about talk about something good in your life." And um, uh, he would he would talk about things, and, and the needle needle would move as he's talking. He's like, "Well, you don't know." It was interesting. So I'm like, okay, where were they going? And then the needle would kind of move into like a kind of a positive range. And it would kind of move back and forth. He goes, okay, like, think of the most negative thing you can think of right now. He's like, okay, well, um, unfortunately, I'm going through a divorce right now. And I'm really having a problem with my wife's lawyer. And the needle buried on the negative. I mean, it was kind of hovering like this, like the whole kind of, and all of a sudden it went clunk. And and they were all surprised. Like, whoa, what's going on? And the, the scientist guy said, Well, you know, there's actually bacteria in this yogurt, living cultures in this yogurt. And your proximity to them actually affects their life. And so when you were talking about more positive things, there was positive energy coming out of this yogurt. When you're talking about something extremely negative, you it buried into the negative range. I was just like blown away. Whoa, can our thoughts and feelings literally affect everyone around us? Well, we know they do. I've known people in the church that as soon as they walk through the door, everybody knows whether they're in a good mood or a bad mood, especially if they're in a bad mood. Everybody kind of tightens up. Ooh, something's wrong. You know, even if you don't see them with your physical eyes, they come in the back door. Oh, something just happened here, and that's just a human. That's just a human walking into the room. Because, like, if there's someone close to that human, his spirit connects them, and all the people in the room, our spirits are like overlapping. So, anyway, I'm only saying all that because I learned a lot of that stuff through these weird documentaries. That got into this new agey, creepy stuff. It, after a while, the Lord actually had told me, "Enough. I've allowed you to look into this a little bit. If that's enough, cut that crap off." Yeah. And I did. I, I stopped. I stopped messing around because I started looking into vibrations and frequencies, and I started studying things like even music. Mm-hmm. You know, we have uh, music is based on a four forty. You know, that's that's the, the hertz range, like the key of A has to be 440 hertz. Yeah. Well, but then I found out you can actually, you can actually still have an A at uh, 436 hertz or 444 hertz, you know, and it can still be the key of A. But the reason why standard music today and all of our electronic uh, instrumentation like keyboards are automatically set to 440 is because that is the most uh, unharmonious frequency. 
Like if you went down to 436 or 444, it actually works better with our human body and our natural biologics to create more harmony. And there's supposed to be this divine note, like this C note at whatever frequency, you know, and they say guys like Bach knew this frequency. And so he would like make, he would like fashion, I don't think he did it himself, but he would commission the making of these huge pipe organs and make, make sure it was at certain frequencies and not other ones because other ones wouldn't work right and, and, and it wouldn't give you that connection to the divine. And I started getting into all this stuff and really looking into it. And it was at that point that, you know, it was right at the point where I almost started wearing crystals myself. The Lord said, nope, <laughs> you're not going there. But what I learned is everything does have a vibrational frequency. Right. You know, and there's things that will work better with other things. And some truth comes in weird packages, but, you know, when you get fully into that demonic realm, that's when it works. Well, you are you are about to tip over the edge. So yeah, I've I've had I've had several eye opener you know, things like that. Like when I was younger, I used to like these fantasy books, and every one of them, every one of them, always equated light and darkness. Yep. You know, light is equal to darkness. The yin and yang. Yeah, yin yes. and yang. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And years and years later, I found out that is the basis for all Satan. Satan, what he's going to try to tell everybody is, yeah, I'm darkness, but I'm equal to light. You know, and I can, yes, I'm I'm technically bad, but it's really more about a balance. I was going to say, yeah. isn't that what Star Wars pushes? Yeah. The balance in the Force. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? All about the balance. Black and white and the whole, you do that everywhere. You see it everywhere. You know, it's funny because one of my, one of my main kind of underlying messages is balance. But it's not balance between light and dark. It's balance in the light, you know, spirit and truth, you know. So, you know, physical and spiritual, even, you know, there's got to be a balance. But I, I heard one preacher years ago, and says, hey, yeah, you know, you got you got to go out to the golf range every once in a while. you got to have balance in your life. Well, I didn't like that because I felt like what he was saying was you got to balance carnality and spirituality. No, no, you don't. You, you can go out to the golf course and play golf, but not because it's carnal, because it might be the way you relax. And especially if God says, Hey, go swimming. If God tells you to go relax, you know, while you're swimming in the pool, then do it. You know, if, if God says, go read a book or do a puzzle, in order to just kind of relax your mind from serious matters. Yeah, do that too. It's not about descending into the carnal realm. Okay, I'm going to go watch an R-rated movie because I have to have balance in my life. <laughs> that's, not, yeah. that's not what he's talking about at all. You know? That's hard for young, zealous Christians. That takes a little while to learn. Yeah. They're afraid of everything. They cut it all out. Like, oh, that's, yeah. that, you can't do that. Or, or I remember when I first came to the Lord, we had a pastor who did that. And I always had that in my mind. Like, why does he go and play golf all the time? Like, how is that, you know, you know, contributing to the kingdom of God? Like, what does that have to do with anything? He was just golfing. Yeah. That's how he relaxed. Like, yeah, yeah. It's okay, you know what I mean? And, and especially if it's okay. 
Yeah. Now, if he's skipping church to go golfing, okay, now you've uh, unhinged yourself. Mm. You know, you, you've actually missed an encounter with God because you were relaxing. Mm. You know, and I've heard all, I've heard like a lot of arguments. Well, I don't go to church. My church is the beach. My church is taking a walk in the woods. My, my church is the, I can actually get more out of the things of God, uh, going out and taking a walk through the woods and just watching nature than I can at church. Well, I would say you're probably not hearing much word of God in the church, or you're not feeling much spirit in the church, if that's true. You know, if if you are really getting more just taking a walk in the woods, then maybe ask God to show you better church, a better fellowship. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, because you know, yes, a walk in the woods is awesome, and yes, you can touch God in the woods, absolutely. I have got no problem with that. But when the body comes together, there's things that he's only going to talk to the body. You know, he's not going to tell you as an individual. He's only going to give to a body. No, we miss that. And that's the reason why uh, the Bible says forsake not the assembly, because there's some things only the body as a whole is going to get. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I, th- I actually, you know, one of the guys was your dad years and years ago. He's like, oh, you know what? I, I I often get so much more out of just taking a walk in the woods. And I was like, yeah, I agree. Yes, you can get a lot out of taking a walk in the woods. Uh, but, I mean, I don't think your dad was skipping church to do it. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> but, you know, so, I, I mean, I totally agree with your dad on that issue. Yeah, absolutely. You can get some massive revelation. You know, would you? Uh, it's funny you bring this up. It's kind of important right now between Dave and I. Um, what do you do when you've left a body because you don't think they were doing particular things correctly and where you are doesn't really have another group you can go to or you'd have to drive like I would have to come all the way out here in order to fellowship with this body and I don't feel like I'm led to do anything yet okay. well that's well that's the key right there you got to be like you know um, there, there's a couple of years ago, I talked to a lady right after me, lady in a summer day. She pulled up on the side of the road. She used to go to church here. And the Lord just started opening up ministry right there. And she's just weeping and crying. I'm laying my, I went around the side of her car. You know, I'm actually kind of out on the road a little bit, kind of praying for her right on the side of the road. And after all that happened, she's like, well, so. I guess I need to start coming to church here then, right? I said, no, that's not what God's saying to you. I said, God touched you here and he used me to do it. I said, you need to get on your face before God and ask him what to do. And I, she never started coming to church back here. So, I, you know, he, he, it's, you know, leave that in the hands of God. So as far as you're concerned, yeah, same thing. If, if you felt the Lord leading you away from that church, I will say this. That in my experience, the Lord doesn't move people like laterally. Does that make sense? He doesn't just say, okay, you're done with this church, let's move over to this church. Yeah. If he moves you, it's it's gonna move you like vertically. He's gonna he's gonna move you up into a higher spiritual dimension, realm, whatever. So then in that case I'm I'm just waiting on direction. Cause... Yeah. Uh the other thing too is um Again, in my experience, I even this is only in my experience. I'm not. This is not a hard to fast rule. 
In my experience, God doesn't move you out unless he's going to move you in. In other words, he's already got everything planned. Right. You know, um, we just had a guy come in last year who's been involved in our church several times now through the years. Um, and he's, he's come and gone a few times down through the years. And I've known this guy for 20 years. And he, he came back last year and he subsequently left again. And uh, one of the things I tried to share with him and, and as nice as I could uh, he told me that he hadn't been going to church for a year and I, as nice as I could I said well listen if you have no place to go then you need to make sure you're really supposed to leave you know sometimes we can have disagreements so well you know, whatever you know, it's, I don't like that and, and logically I, I don't think God would want me to go there but that's where you really got to make sure too. You got to make sure God is leading you out. And when He does, I'm not saying I'm not saying this is a hard fast rule because I'm not obviously I'm not the Almighty. But in my experience, He'll have someone for you. Yeah. He'll open something for you, um, even if it's a home fellowship. Right. See, sometimes we get to thinking I have to go to a church building. Right. The Lord might have you get involved with a group that might mean their home. Right. You know, like Dave's house. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and I'm not, I'm not trying to say that that's what the oh, answer is, yeah, yeah. but it could be. Uh, leave it leave it open as an option. If you don't say, say you don't feel like the Lord say, I tell you to come all the way to Island to go to a church, it, maybe He's not, and that's fine. That's God's business. But He's got something for you. Yeah. He's got a body experience for you. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I agree. I, I think that scripture is very important, mm-hmm. like you said. But, you know, to confirm what you're saying about how people interact with each other, it says where two or three are gathered in your name. Mm-hmm. So I, I believe that 100%, and I agree with that scripture. Yeah. It's just, I don't know exactly. I'm kind of like in this, I don't know which direction, you know, the Lord isn't necessarily given me I don't know if it's a period of time that I'm supposed to maybe uh, change in my heart about certain things you know to where I can actually be where I belong I'm not sure exactly I don't really have well you know it's it's kind of like what Paul says in first Corinthians let a man examine himself yeah Psalm 139 search me O God yeah you know I absolutely you know do those kind of prayers and present yourself to the Lord that way often. Just say, Lord, you know, is there any rebellion in me? Yeah. Is there any stubbornness in me? Uh, am I being deceived on any point? Yeah. And God's going to show you. He's right. going to show you. And it's not going to be with a con- condemnation. Right. You know, it's just going to be like, okay, this is where you are. This is what you need to do. Yeah. You know, and just being humble before God. God will tell you right. what to do. And um, even if it's just to say, like you said, okay, I'm I'm preparing you, or I'm preparing something for you. I don't know. Um, it's hard. It, these are things hard, uh, for me that are hard to lock down because we don't have too many, at least New Testament examples of this. We don't have like really a lot of Old Testament examples either of congregations. But we know they had communion, and that's that's what was going on. Eventually, they did 
have a Sabbath synagogue situation, but you know, we never hear Jesus in the law say, okay, you gotta get a church plan. Mm-hmm. You know, so but he did say you need to adhere to my word. Yeah. So where are they gonna learn the word? Not everybody had a scroll or a tablet. Right. They had to go to someone to hear the word taught to them. Or so they have the home group. Yeah. They were yeah. Of the churches to the assemblies and the houses. Right, and and that was the case in the New Testament. In the New Testament, even then, they not everybody had a Bible. Right. So they they had to they had to somehow you know the apostles had to get the word because you know they studied the word, so they had to get copies of the word, and they studied all this stuff, and they would dispense this information to the people. Right. Well, much of what what is being taught in our churches now was being written at that moment. Yeah. So, you know, where well, the Lord was giving them. That opens up a whole another can of worms. Yeah. You know, their Bible is basically the Old Testament. Yeah. You know, is the Greek version of the Old Testament. So, you know, unfortunately, a lot of modern day Christian churches, including apostolics, we kind of ignore the Old Testament in a lot of areas. Or we pick and choose kind of what we want. You know, a good example of that is, is, um, like uh, the fornication issue. In the Old Testament, it very clearly lets us know this is not right. And But it's the New Testament that really hammers it. Paul, Paul's always speaking against pornea, you know, and that can be, that can be, uh, you know, thought of as pornography or simple fornication is really what we always uh, label it as. So did Paul just make up a rule? No. But some people will say, oh, in the Old Testament, things were different. If a young man went and had sex with a young lady, they're required to get married now, unless the father of the daughter says no. Um, so, like, having sex with a girl in the cornfield is not really a sin. Well, the Bible never says that. And, and never says that. In fact, it's very clear instruction. Uh, you know, a man and woman it need, need to be together. So the Old Testament doesn't somehow endorse fornication, and the New Testament comes against it. Uh, Jesus makes it clear in Matthew 5. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but if a man even thinks on a woman, yet he's already committed adultery. So as far as Jesus is concerned, it's the spiritual law, if you, if you want to call it that, is more stringent than the Old Testament stuff. But the other thing is kind of like, I've heard this one come up a lot of times too, is tithing. You know, some people say, well, tithing's not in the New Testament. It's only in the Old Testament. But we do this crazy thing where we cherry pick or blueberry pick. We'll pick a blueberry from the old, pick a blueberry from the new, but you're right. The New Testament was being written in the time where their Bible was the Old Testament. That's what they believed. So, but they didn't go around preaching the law. No. Um, Yes and no. Yes and no. Like when Jesus was talking to the rich young ruler, uh, the rich young ruler said, what good thing shall I do? Well, first of all, he said, good master, what good thing shall I do to inherit eternal life? That, that That opens up a whole can of worms. Like this guy knew he didn't have eternal life somehow. Because he's asking Jesus how did he get it. Especially if he's been doing all the other things. Yeah. And he's, he's saying, okay, what good thing do I need to do in order to get this level? 
Jesus said, well, first of all, you, you started off wrong. You called me good. It's like you're trying to butter me up. Don't call me good. There's only only God that's good. Now, that confuses people that think Jesus is God. Well, he is God. So why did he say that? Well, he's referring to what the guy was referring to. He, The guy was seeing a man. So Jesus was talking about his humanity and saying, this isn't good. You're trying to make my humanity good. You're trying to make my intrinsic value something good because I'm some rabbi or teacher or guru or whatever. And Jesus kind of disabuses that notion right there. He goes, and if you would enter into life. So the rich young ruler says, what good thing do I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus turns around and said, if you want to enter in, it's a different idea altogether. He's thinking of an inheritance. Well, what is an inheritance? An inheritance is something I get when my dad dies. Once saved, always saved. <laughs> That's your inheritance. I get it no matter what. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to have it. When my dad dies, though, so in other words, it's contingent on the death of my father. Was it always worked out like that, though? Because didn't the prodigal son get his inheritance before anybody? Yeah, and, and that, that's like the horrible part about that story. He's basically saying, Dad, I want you dead. Dad, you're dead to me. Give me my money. That's how horrible it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I want you dead. I'll, dead. I'll take that now. I want I want you out of my life. Just give me my money. And, but yeah, so the idea was inheritance is based on the death of my father, whereas eternal life is based on the life of my father. You know, eternal life is based on the fact that I have an eternal father. You know, so Jesus is not talking about how to inherit something. He's talking about how to enter into something. But surprisingly enough, he says, and if you would enter into life, keep the commandments. Well, that kind of shocks a New Testament believer. And the only thing we can do with that is say, oh, well, that was before. That was before the covenant. That was before the renewed covenant uh, of Jesus' blood. Jesus was talking in the old covenant. Well, I think I think we can't afford to say that. It's kind of like, well, what about the thief on the cross? You know, how can Jesus say this day you'll be with me in paradise? It's on the wrong side of the cross. Yeah, well, that's what people say. Well, that was that was before the death of Jesus Christ and all this. But we're 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 forgetting the sovereignty of God too. He can do whatever he wants. You know, what well, what he wants is going to be the pattern of who he is, and it's going to fit into his pattern. And so what was going on on that cross? Was it just an old covenant, new covenant? I think it's more than that. I think it's partly that, but it's more than that. It's Jesus who is the fulcrum, the, the vortex, if you will, the, the center issue of the whole thing. The salvation of God is speaking the word from his mouth, a preceding word. You're going to be saved, you know, because you have, in this moment, turned your heart to me. And, and, recognize, yeah, and recognize that you were a sinner. Yes. Because he said, we have done wrong, wrong, but you haven't. That's right. Then he was technically saved the same way all the others were saved by faith. Yes. Yeah. So the, the pattern is there. Yeah. And we're saved by faith through grace. You know, but again, doctrine tries to make us think we're saved by, you know, dunking our head in the water. Well, it's the obedience to the action that washes away the sin. 
it washes our conscience clean. The water doesn't do it. But you I, have to believe that. You have to believe it, yes. Because you can you can get baptized and not believe it. And you mean get wet. You can get wet. It does nothing for your conscience. Right. Because you don't believe. So it's it's a conjunction. It's a conjunction of spirit and physical action. When we believe Jesus' name baptism is going to wash me from sin, when we go down in the water, it actually happens. But is it obedience yeah. in that sense? It's just like in the book of Acts, All you know, they preach yeah. Acts 2.38. They didn't say, you know, please, you got to get in the water. These men were commanded, ready to go. Yeah, They didn't have to mm-hmm. say, hey, you need to get in. They're going, how are we going to be saved? And they said, well, you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And it says they all received gladly. It wasn't, oh, you know, I'm not convinced. It was like, hey, I need to get in here. This is my good tunic I got on today. I yeah, can't get no, this thing wet. My wife just, just did a monthly cleaning. You know, I can only imagine, you know, everybody baptizing. Everybody at that moment. Because there was how many thousands? Three thousand at the beginning. Five thousand. You know, let's say. 120. Well, it says about 120, right? So yeah. it could be a little bit more than that. But 120 baptized in three thousand. Well, you have to go for 240. You can double fist people at that point. <laughs> <laughs> so, so is it uh, obedience? What this, the scripture? And this is something that's funny. I knew the Lord would open the door. We prayed about it all morning. So, um, obedience to the faith is something that I've been dealing with a lot because. Okay. I've been trying to, prior to this, maybe this last two years, I would try to do everything I could to be right with God. And it wasn't until this past, like, two years that God actually revealed us. I remember the day it happened, you know, realizing who Jesus Christ was and what everything was for. It immediately brought me to tears. The Lord opened my eyes 100%. And I realized, like, Adhering to the law doesn't produce righteousness. Right. But being born again in the spirit and able to fulfill the law in love yeah. is the goal here. So I'm not I'm not going out of my way to try and produce my own righteousness. Because there's no way I can do it. It's right. not gonna happen. Exactly, yes. Well see, another one of those trippy statements that I I I like to give our congregation here is um, just because you can't do anything to be saved doesn't mean there's not something to be done. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times, especially in what we would, like in the apostolic church, we would call the denominal world, as if we're not another denomination ourselves, but uh, back in a kind of like mainstream Christian world, the idea is you can't be saved by works, Ephesians chapter 2. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the same Bible as Acts two thirty eight. But then James says faith without works is dead. Dead, right. So yeah, all <clears> these <throat> scriptures together give us the full picture. But works without faith would be considered sin. Yeah. And the wages of sin is death. Right. Yeah. So you your works don't produce faith. Your faith produces works. Exactly. Exactly. Belief always leads us to obedience. I think a lot of people get confused with the word faith. Like, I love what Jeff Brown says, how you spell faith is R-I-S-K. To have risk, it's not like, I'm going to believe something else, that's risky. No, it's acting on that, the actions of what you believe. So faith isn't 
like in Hebrews, faith isn't what you believe. Faith is evidence. Evidence. You can't have belief in evidence. Like you can't say, well, judge, he believed this. That's evidence. There's nothing there. You can't prove what someone believed or didn't believe. But what they acted on according to what they believed is what you can convict them on. Their actions. Well, Abraham, it wasn't when Abraham... He was kind of righteous because he left. Not because he believed. Yeah, because he left. Because he acted on his belief. Because he believed, he left. Right. You know what I'm saying? And and because he believed... But he couldn't have left if he didn't believe. Because he believed. Because he believed. And the righteousness... You know how... You knew that he believed because of the actions. Yes. Right? Yeah. So that's what we're saying is that we'll do things because of our faith. The, The other thing, too, is... It's, it's, to me, it's kind of like a wheel or maybe a triangular pattern. It, this is, these are just thoughts that are kind of developing, but uh, maybe maybe one of these days you'll hear me teach about this. But it's kind of like um, you've got you've got beliefs, you've got experiences, and you've got questions or theories, and they all kind of play on each other. Like our beliefs will. Um, will uh, well, well, let's say this: our questions will affect our experiences. Okay, because like we're questioning something: is this true? Is this not true? And it will cause us to, if you will, take a risk on something. Is this right over here, or is this right over here? And what that does is that modifies our experiences. So based on what we're putting ourselves out there in because of our questions or our theories, if you will, we'll have experiences. Our experiences modify our beliefs. Because when we experience something, we'll find certain truths, and we'll find certain falsehoods, and we'll we'll have to challenge ourselves, okay, I'm going to have to give up certain beliefs according to my experiences. Well, our experiences uh, modify our beliefs, like I said. So when we, when we have certain experiences, we... Our beliefs are now modified. Then it just keeps going around in this circle because our beliefs will then modify our questions. So it just kind of keeps going around and, and, and on and on and so forth. But then you have to like, that. to me that's just on a purely physical level. I mean, it doesn't mean it can't move into the spiritual realm too. But what Dave's talking about is when you get into the Hebrews chapter 11 realm, what it literally is saying is faith is is what you're hoping to see, not what you're actually seeing. Right. You know, so uh, what is it? Psalm 27, I believe to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Right. You know, I believe to see. Where normally in a carnal mind, you have to see to believe. Mm-hmm. So that little wheel I was talking about before, that's kind of like in the psychological realm. Because it's based in the idea that I'll only believe something that I've experienced. Whereas in the faith realm or in the spiritual realm, you actually have faith in what you can't see. It's it's like a placeholder. So now, now faith is, is a substance. No, we're not talking about physical substance, but it takes the place of something that we're hoping for. Right. You know, and it's the eyewitness or something we can see with the inner man of something that we can't see with the outer man. And would you say faith is post-mortem? 
like it's after the fact. Like the that substance is after the fact of what you actually like. You can't go outside and see a puddle and be like, I think it's gonna rain today. Yeah. You know what I mean? Faith is the after the fact evidence that not only shows yourself but people around you see it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I always think. You can, if I'm wrong, say I'm fine with. No, I mean, no, I, I, I mean, that's a good idea. I always think of faith, and like simple faith, as when I walk into the room, I flip a light switch with the full expectation a light's going to come on. That's faith. But at the same time, I've seen the lights come on before. I've seen someone else flip the light switch. I saw what they did. I saw the action. Now I believe if I do it, the same thing. So to me, that's kind of what faith is. So it's kind of a little of both. I've seen the puddle, so I believe it rained. You know, uh, I've seen the puddle, so in the future, I believe it will rain again. So it, it, faith is one of those things that's hard to pin down because it's like, what's the difference between faith and belief? There are differences. What's the difference between belief and trust? There's differences. Trust is something that it, it lives in the realm of faith and belief, but when you see something consistently happen, you trust in it. You trust that this guy's going to screw me every time. I mean, we don't think of that as trust. We think of that as more distrust. But we're actually trusting in the fact that this guy's going to do it, yeah. and he's always going to do something. <laughs> or if, if you know, uh, the uh, the uh, post also character comes the same time every day, we start trusting that he's going to come the same time every day. Well, what I mean, trust can be on every level. But based on biblical like faith and trust, like we see that men of God trusted God outside of the result, even though they were going to get thrown into a den of lions or fire or whatever, they were just like, you know what, I trust God. It doesn't either, matter if I die. It doesn't matter way, what the result is. Either way, God's got me. That's either, it. Either way, everything's going to... Well, there's a, there's a few scriptures that I kind of use in, in, in the regard of what we're talking about. This is Acts 5.32. This is, and we are his witnesses of these things. And so it's also the Holy Ghost whom God has given to them. That obey. Yeah. So in that passage, Peter is talking to these guys and saying, actually... God gave the whole thing to people who are your faith. Oh, did what? Exactly. Well, well, when did the Holy Ghost come?
Bible clearly says we can't get saved by works. And yet you can position yourself for salvation right. out of obedience to something you already want to do. Now, again, uh, going back to the baptism thing, when, when we're looking at Acts 16, same book, uh, Paul's talking to this uh, Philippian jailer, and he's just simply saying, uh, he, he asks a question almost exactly like Acts 2.37. He says, and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Well, that's almost the exact same thing as the people uh, on the day of Pentecost were asking. They were pricked in their hearts. And they said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And he said, Believe on the Lord Jesus. Yeah. And also, he preached the same exact thing as Acts 2.38. Really, he did, but he presented it totally different. Paul says, uh, or and they said, Paul and Simon's close said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy, thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, and washed his stripes, and was baptized in his straight way. So what, what happened was, in, in Jerusalem, day of Pentecost, who's there? Jews. Jews who know the word. Jews who know what the mikvah is. The mikvah was just the washing ceremony. They learned that in the law. I mean, not to get gross, but if a guy, you know, has sex with his wife, he, even just that, he's supposed to change his clothes, go wash, and technically be in a state of kind of a bad translation, but of uncleanness until the sun sets. And then at the evening oblation, he can go if he needs to. Because having sex with his wife is not a sin, but if he needs to for any other reason, he can go to the temple or the tabernacle, whichever situation was at the time. He can go and give his offering. Right. He can partake. Now it becomes a holy offering. He can partake of the part that he gets. The priest can partake of the part that he gets. But if the priest woke up that day and he was unclean, he's got to do the same stuff. He's not exempt just because he's a priest. He would have to have washed his clothes and. And at the you know at the sunset, now he's ready, and he can eat you know in Hebrew what they call the kodeshim or the holy offerings. So if we if we get the holy things of God, we have to just do it according to His pattern. So uh, they already knew about the washing, they already knew about the, uh, the, the the turning away and all this type of stuff, and and it wasn't supposed to ever be a harsh condemnation, especially if it was just a natural order of things. Sin was like overt and purposeful sin, and I was a different realm. But anyway, getting into back to the, the day of Pentecost, these were all Jews who knew the law. They were in Jerusalem because of the law, or in, in the disciples' cases, they were there because of Jesus' word. And so because of their obedience, they were positioned to receive the Holy Ghost. Now, we don't have record that the Philippian jailer got the Holy Ghost. We do have record that he got baptized. We also have the record of you know them prophesying over him. You will be saved. So did they did they say to him, you have to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy? And say that it's a believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, well, which led them to baptism. But you know? why? You, I don't think you necessarily have to tell somebody based on you know Acts chapter fifteen and stuff. It says, and God confirming their hearts, right? Bear witness 
mm-hmm. by filling them with the Holy Ghost as soon as they So it's not something that a man can give or say to do. God can confirm someone on his own, regardless of what we say or do. Right? If they if they yes, receive the gospel truly the way that it was to be received. See Yes, but we are also commanded to preach the gospel. Right, right. But, but if, just because it's not listed there doesn't mean that they didn't. Oh, no, no. I fully believe right, right. it. Yeah. But, you know, it's like in every case like this, we don't, like in Acts chapter 8, yeah. we don't see uh, that uh, they spoke in tongues, if you, if you will. Right. But we know they got the Holy Ghost. Right. So some people say, well, just because they got the Holy Ghost doesn't mean they didn't see it. Well, that's another issue, I know. But yeah. at the same time, they got the whole. They got the Holy Ghost for speaking in tongues in Acts two, mm-hmm. Acts ten, Acts nineteen. So it doesn't. That's two or three witnesses. So it doesn't have to say they spoke in tongues every time mm-hmm. in order for us to understand that's what's going on. Right. But it's the same thing happens with Philip and the eunuch. We don't see him get the Holy Ghost, but I believe he did. Yeah. We don't see this guy get the Holy Ghost, but I believe he did, because we're seeing the results. They only preach believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And what happens is we see it lead him to baptism. Right. Well, if it's going to lead to this, you know, Paul understands the deal. Right. So I believe this guy's going to end up in his house end up getting the Holy Ghost. Mm-hmm. Now, again, it doesn't say it. But, well, there's other, there's another couple of scriptures, scriptures we know really well. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2. This one, you know, we've already quoted a little bit of it. Mm-hmm. But one of the verses that often doesn't get quoted when we quote uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 is we don't follow it up by quoting verse 10. And it simply says this, and I, and I know you know it. For by grace you are saved, this is verse 8, through faith, not, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So when we're talking about the gift of God, we know we're talking about the gift of the Holy Ghost. Right. So we're when we're talking about the gift of salvation, we're also talking about the gift of the Holy Ghost because that's what saves us. And then it says, not of works, lest any man should boast. Does that contradict Acts 5.32? No. They were in obedience to be positioned. Just because you can't work to be saved doesn't mean you're not going to have things to do in order to be positioned. Like, you know, if uh, if salvation was, if my salvation was going down to the bank and withdrawing money, I have to go down to the bank to withdraw. What if someone else put the money in the bank? Right. I still have to go to the bank to get it. Or, or some electronic thing. So, let me let me ask this question if you don't mind. So the way the way that I I perceive tithing, I don't feel as though I'm required to tithe based on my perspective. I give because I want to. Right. But I'm not adhering to any law. I don't think it's a law that I have to tithe because I'm doing my giving out of love. Right. Does that make sense to you? Yes. Yeah. Well, that's the way it's supposed to be. It's like, well, we were just talking about this on Sunday. Uh, we do the things we do out of love, not because we're commanded, but love and command go hand in hand. And the first commandment is love the Lord your God. Right. So it's like, yes, I love God, but I'm also commanded to love Him. Right. The way the way that I see it is, I'm not, I'm not abstaining from sin and departing from sin to try and get somewhere. I'm doing it because I'm preparing to go somewhere. Well, okay, that's good. I like that. But the other thing about tithing is, no, we're not required to tithe, but we're also not required to receive a blessing. Right. 
You don't have to. If you well, it says, you know, I mean, if you, if you give, it shall be given. Right? Yes. So if, if you want to be blessed by God, I mean, you you give. Yes, I mean, but there, there's also a, a principle. And now Mark Handy kind of puts it like this. He says, 10% is, it's not, it's not necessarily a magical number. Mm-hmm. What it's symbolizing is the whole. It's all God's. Yeah. Everything God gives you is already his. Right. He's the one that gave it to you. Now, the giving back of 10% is the acknowledgement this is all coming from God anyway. And when we do that, we keep the connection open. You know, so is there a difference between tithing and giving? Yes. There is tithing and giving are two different things. Uh, giving, uh, like offerings in the Old Testament especially, were usually for the upkeep of the house of God. Tithing was for the benefit of the men of God to keep them, uh, because they didn't have like normal jobs or whatever. So the tithing was basically the idea that you have mediators and people that lead you to God, and so for their benefit you tithe. In order for you to, you know, uh, to honor God, you give in order to uh, you have to keep the house of God. So two different ideas. And the the thing about uh, tithing is is back to that love issue that we're talking about. We're commanded to love. And when we love, we keep his commandments. You know, John chapter 14. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And John 15, it says, hearing that you know that the love is in you when you keep my commandments. Right. In other words, so how do you know you're loving God when you do what he says? So the, the other thing, too, is Jeremiah 31. It says uh, he'll make a new covenant, and he'll write his law in our hearts. So we know that that's a work of the Holy Ghost. So when we get the Holy Ghost, all of the law is written in our hearts. That's why we instinctively know you don't steal. Right. You don't murder. You don't. So we're keeping the law without keeping the law. But what about the Sabbath? What, what do you mean? Well, it says to keep the Sabbath day holy, right? Mm-hmm. That's part of it. Yes. Is there a specific day? Yes, it's the Sabbath. So Saturday? <laughs> uh, sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. Right. Yes, basically Saturday. So do you keep it? Yes, 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 I do. I as much as I can. Now, on the other hand, because I'm a man of God, if I have to do something for the church, mm-hmm. I look at it as a service to God, like a priest who ministers on the Sabbath. He's working, and yet he's not violating, even though Jesus says they violate the Sabbath. Right. But he's not saying they did a bad thing. So, like sometimes I can only cut the grass. I can only get a chance to do that on a, on a Saturday. Uh, most of the time, I'll cut the grass during the weekend, like a Thursday or Friday, uh, just so, so it still looks good before Sunday. Does that count for everybody who would try to keep it that way? I think so. I, I think if we are if we are working for ourselves mm-hmm. and for our own benefit, um, then you're not really keeping it. But then you got to bring it in. To the understanding that the Sabbath for a spiritual Christian is rest in the Holy Ghost. Right. So Paul says one guy honors a day, one yeah. guy honors every day. So are we still keeping the Sabbath if we say, you know what, Monday's going to be my day off? Well, technically, yeah, you're keeping the Sabbath. Even though it's not the seventh day of the week, you're still keeping the Sabbath. 
Um, now, personally, I don't think Christians have to go to church on Sunday. If we wanted to come to church on Saturday, we could do that. Right. Sunday's just a traditional day. Right. We, we could scrap that all together, and I don't think God would care, mm-hmm. because we're still meeting and joining. If we say, you know what, we're scrapping Saturday and Sunday altogether, we don't want to do Friday because that's when the Muslims get together, uh, let's just have a weekly service on Wednesday. Well, then everybody would have to not work on Wednesday. They'd have to, they'd have to arrange it with their jobs. Oh, by the way, I can't work Wednesdays anymore. Right. But Wednesdays. I can work Saturdays and Sundays. It's easier in our, our culture to go to Sunday. Yeah, right. Exactly. So so is it just a crapshoot? You know, is it just willy-nilly? Is it just whatever you want? No, it's really what God says. Some people choose to look at it as, I'm taking a rest physically, but I'm finding my rest in the Holy Ghost because he's, the Holy Ghost is the Sabbath of rest. So, yes, I think, naturally speaking, and this is one of those things I learned when I was looking at all those things, there's something weird that happens on a Friday evening. Uh, our circadian rhythms take a step down. In other words, generally our heart rates drop around Friday evening, and our all of our circadian rhythms actually go into a lower mode from about sunset Friday to sunset Saturday. And they just you say, well, well, I just, finally have an excuse for that Friday that I turn into a monster for yeah. working late. <laughs> well, see, you know, well, here's here's the weird thing. It's not Friday uh, Friday at sunset for everybody in the world, though. No. It's it, yeah. it, it goes by because the, the world's turning, so sunset is literally a constant in motion thing. Mm-hmm. But that's that's the point about the Sabbath. It's where you are, not what a calendar date says. So, like, just because my circadian rhythms are starting to slow down because it's Friday night for me, well, halfway across the world, their circadian rhythms are not slowing down yet because the sun is not setting. Now, why does that happen? I mean, you're not going to find this endorsed by too many medical scientists, but they found it's true. They've, they've done experiments on enough people, yeah, religious people, non-religious people, it doesn't matter. There's something that happens. Like, there's a point in the week that our bodies are kind of telling us, okay, slow down. And uh, we have a commandment that says, Make this day holy. In other words, separate. And it's not so much about not working as it is giving the day to God. So are you a sinner if you work on a Saturday? Not really if you're taking a day off for God. Or if you, you know, if you work every day. Well, I, I think technically not. I think you should take a day off. Yeah. If you're working every day, yeah, you really should give one day to God. On I that, on I that day, that. would it be? I mean, what if you get in the car and go for a ride to do something with your kid or something like that? That's a rest. That's a rest. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're technically exerting yourself, but some people go mountain climbing to take a rest. Right. That's not restful, and yet it's rest to their mind. Right. They're, they're getting out of their normal rhythm. And what if that guy's climbing a mountain and he's talking about the whole time he's doing it? I mean, is that giving the day to God? I know this sounds a little bit hokey, but in my opinion... I, I don't think so. I think it's so, spot on. This is totally my opinion, but right. I think he's given the day to God. You know? Well, then a, then a man, technically, in the Holy Ghost, can give every day to the Lord. 
Yes, and that's what Paul is saying. Right. One guy can honor every day. Yeah. Um, Even though he's working. Yeah, I mean, it, I guess it would depend on what your what your attitude towards work is. Yeah. And is this my livelihood? You know, is is this my fulfillment in Christ? You know, like it, it's possible to love what you do. Well, I was gonna say, you say fulfillment. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't say what happens to the eunuch after he leaves. It doesn't say what happens to the the prison guards. They could have just received the Lord with joy and received the Holy Ghost and their baptism and on to a life of faith and walking with the Lord, they went. And that yeah. was all those people out there looked up to. In the yeah. Of, and in Acts 15, when, when they were talking about what requirements the Gentiles should have, yep. they never said anything about Sabbath. No, what they did they say, did. though, they say, uh, well, you know, a couple of men came out from us, you know, and they're and they telling you that you needed to be circumcised and keep the law. Saved, yes. And we, we didn't send them with any such instruction. Right. And so they, they had to get rid of that idea, you know, that you know, no circumcision is a requirement for salvation. But they did say, don't eat anything stranded. You know, abstain from fornication. Uh, you know, don't eat meat sacrificed to idols. And, you know, it, most of it had to do with temple worship. Right. Because well, in, in the temples, they would have ritualistic fornication. Right. They would uh, have animal sacrifices. They would, uh, you know, they wouldn't drain the blood properly, and then, you know, and they they wouldn't eat the blood at all. So all this had to do with like temple stuff. Well, you know what messed me up after after reading some of that is it says don't eat meats offered to idols, and then Paul goes on to say I can eat whatever I want because there's no such thing as an idol. Right. See, Paul, Paul's a funny guy. What what he does is he says, hey, we know it's fine. There's but no then a couple of tables, uh, uh, chapters later in the same book, don't eat it. First Corinthians, he said, don't eat at the table of devils. Well, he so, also says to not, not to eat it for the guy who's given it right. to you because of his knowledge. Right. If, if you're harming his conscience. Yeah. But then he says, why should my conscience be judged for another man's weakness? Yeah. So it's like. Paul's all over the place. Yeah. He's like shotgun and no, scripture. No, he understood something. Yes, because there's there's no contradiction. Right, none at all. So what seems to be contradictory to us, there's got to be a deeper pattern. He's got liberty in the Lord. Yeah. There's there's freedom for him in the sense of conscience, but in the sense of protecting somebody who's weaker in the faith, there but, is you need to be careful. Yeah, absolutely. It's like um, I I know how to handle fire. You know, I, I know safely. We were blowing up fireworks last night. I, I, I know how to do it safely, but I'm not going to put the lighter in the hands of my daughter. Right. She can hurt herself because she doesn't know. And even if I try to teach her, she's still at a an age where I'm not confident she can handle it. So I wouldn't let her handle it. And quite honestly, she wouldn't want to do it anyway, but there's too much smoke and noise and all that. But anyway, so it's like I imagine that Paul could go to one of those shanties and he could buy, because he was hungry, he could buy a piece of meat, knowing full well this meat has been offered to an idol. He could take it and say, thank you, Lord, for this. I rebuke any spiritual attachment that might be uh, on this. I'm going to receive it purely as an animal that's going to give my physical body sustenance and sit there and eat that thing and have not one guilty 
moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how we eat Chinese and food. Yeah, they have that little cat idol yeah. waving. And, and it was pork. And it was pork. Well, it was pork. well, yeah, I mean, that I'm not so sure about myself. <laughs> Again, I, uh, you know, but uh, I'm not I'm not totally convinced that he would have eaten pork. Well, he knew that it was because okay he was, to he eat wasn't it. Eating. He knew that it was okay to eat it because he preached that all things were to be received. With Thanksgiving, yes. Uh, and he might not have ate it. Genesis nine, because that's what he believed. Though. Genesis yeah. nine said, you know, you can have all, all the flesh is meat for you and all this. Uh, yes. Uh, personally, I don't think Paul would have. You know, um, I think it's more of a condition that he was saying to others. I, I, I think the the Hebrew faith was just so ingrained in him. I don't think he would have eaten pork. Do you think though? Because then then he goes on to preach that if if you know you're going somewhere and they're giving you food, you eat it. If they said it before, yes, yeah, I will go to some. I'll go to your house if you got pork chops. I'm gonna sit there and eat it. I have no problem doing that. In my own life, I don't buy pork. You don't eat pork? No. I, I, but if that's what, that's that's he my literally addresses that. He says if, if, if one man decides that he wants to eat only vegetables, let him eat vegetables. Right. And, and, and a lot of times it does come down to personal conviction. Mm-hmm. So if I go to a restaurant, I can be sitting right next to my brother that's eating a pulled pork sandwich, mm-hmm. and I'll get the beef brisket. And you have no problem with that. I, I'm not going to judge him on what, what his convictions are okay i personally this is i mean this is my logic yeah god told his people not to eat certain foods there's probably a natural reason why he didn't maybe it's less healthy for you whatever so i just say well god knows how he made his animals you know he knows how he made the pig he knows how he made the, the chicken or whatever right i just found out recently uh actually it was a question you asked the other night i just found out recently that a tuna fish does not have scales, according to the law. Yeah, because I told him about that. I told him the head, and when I was holding it, it was just pouring off of me. I was like silver and black on my arms and my shirt, yeah. I and, and, I, and I was I was scales. feeling it. I was like, this doesn't have scales. I wonder if it's just the head or the entire body, but yeah, it's so crazy. I eat tuna all the time. I, I never knew tuna wasn't a, a clean fish. According to the Bible, it has to have fins and scales so in order to be a clean fish. Yeah, it's unclean. I've been eating tuna and all my life. Tuna's not a white meat; it's a red meat. Yeah, it's kind of, with, and where like stripers a white meat, flounders a white meat. These are fish with scales. It's blood, right? Swordfish, I don't think have scales, and they're a red does, meat. Yeah, yeah I, cod has scales, and it's a white meat. See, I don't eat shark, and I don't eat swordfish, and I don't eat uh, other kinds of like octopus and squid and stuff like that because they don't have fins and scales, or, or fins and or scales. Uh, but I never knew about the tuna. That's just something I... Am I going to beat myself up because I had a tuna sandwich last week? No. I didn't know. I thought it was a clean fish. Tuna is one so of the most counterfeit fish out there. So you're no longer going to eat tuna? I don't know, but I, I think I probably won't just because of my own stubborn logic. But I'm not going to preach it across the pulpit saying, all right, you people, you can't eat tuna no more. But based on your, your conscience... Are you are you now bound in that? No, no, no. Because like, uh, for instance, last year we went out to my uh, friend Gene's uh, for a camp meeting out at his place, and um, I don't know if you remember Aaron Asker, but a friend of ours from years back, one of our pastors, 
uh, his son, Aaron, uh, me and Dean were working in the shop while Walton up this thing is what he was doing, I was watching. But uh, this guy, Aaron, brings in these uh, sausages. And he's like, oh, I just wanted to give you guys a little little snack. And uh, I ate it. And I can tell you right now, man, this is the best pork I've ever had in my life. I was like, he hasn't had one of our pork chops. Yeah, he's like, oh, yeah. I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> and did I feel guilty? No. Well, you receive it with thanks. Yeah, no, I didn't feel guilty because I ate the pork. It's, it really comes down to a personal conviction in my life. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I, you know, should stay with it. So, I love shrimp, don't eat it. Yeah. I like pork, don't eat it. Mm-hmm. You know, love tuna, probably won't eat it anymore. And I'm, you know, in the only, the only thing, the only positive about that is, I was thinking about this yesterday, or Sunday maybe, and I was thinking, you know what? Every time I eat tuna fish, I get heartburn anyway. Yeah. So, that's less heartburn in my life. You know, so, I mean, I, I love tuna. Mind you really? that, right? But yeah, no, if, if, you know, and it's like, I don't even really think of it as, oh, I'm sacrificing tuna for Jesus. I don't really even think of it that way. No, it's just, it's like, okay, now I found out. It's literally like you're just steadying the ship just a, a touch mm-hmm. more every day. I found out it's biblically. According to Leviticus law, it's an unclean meat. I know I'm not a Jew. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I know I'm not under the old, old covenant. I also know I'm not really required. But there's just something about me that will pay attention to things like sex. Will pay attention to things like unclean meat. Mm-hmm. I have questions, and we were talking to David about this earlier. Um, I have questions about the mixture of fabrics yeah. and things like that. Well, what does it mean? See, I like we were, we were talking about like God calls shellfish. So he explained that the word abomination is like the most detestable word used in the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's an abomination to God. Shellfish or an abomination to God? Mixing two fabrics is God is created, that bad? Is, you know God what I mean? Created what he would call an abomination. Well, yes, yes and no. Uh, he created to be good. He created to be the cleaner of the ocean floor. In that regard, it's good. As far as putting it in our bodies, you're gonna eat the vacuum cleaner filter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what they are. Oysters and shellfish. Yeah. But see, that's no the backside of the trash can line. Based based on a lot of that, I'm being a Gentile. I wouldn't have had knowledge of any of that prior to any of this. So yeah, should you feel guilty? No. Well, I, I couldn't because then I would be. Guilty about everything. Well, here's here's the good news too. God doesn't use guilt. No. He uses conviction. Right. He doesn't put shame, fear, and guilt on us. And yet we do fear the Lord. Oh yeah. You know? And so it's a different kind of fear. Though. Yeah, it is. It's an awe and respect. It's not I want to hide fear. It's a it's I like I don't want to risk his displeasure. Yeah. Kind of fear. So God doesn't use guilt and manipulation and you know, well, that's unfortunately what happens in our churches. We're manipulating our people right. to doing what we think is right. Mm-hmm. And a lot of churches, what they end up being is a group of like-minded people. Well, they're passing on their convictions. I, I think the way the th- pastor thinks, therefore I come to this church. Mm-hmm. That's not a reason to be a part of the church. No. The reason to be a part of a church or a body is because God Almighty said, get your butt there. Mm-hmm. You know, And in that case, we're obeying God. Because we love him, 
you know, and it, it always works back and forth. Anyway, let, let me let me read that scripture there uh, too. So we, we we read not of works lest any man should boast, but verse ten says, "For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them." So before ordained, in other words, He created us in the first place to do good works, right? But not to be saved. We can't do good works to be saved. But it doesn't mean we don't do good works. In fact, we find out we've been created to do good works. Right. Uh, the other, and I know you know those scriptures, but the other scripture I always go to in this regard is Philippians. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, I believe. Um, yes, verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved. Now, in context, this is right after Paul says, let this mind be in you which is also Christ Jesus. And then eventually he gets to the point, every knee will bow. Every knee. And indeed, I, I just kind of talked about that a couple weeks ago. Does the devil have knees? Yeah, the devil's going to have knees too because he's going to bow too. Yeah. He's going to bow to Jesus Christ and call him Lord. So right after this, Paul says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What? Work out my own salvation. So that makes it sound like I can work for salvation. But he follows it up with the idea, for it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do it. In other words, it's God that's got you got to give you the will to do good works in the first place. Because you don't even want to do good works without God. Right. It's like the Spirit drawing us. You're not going to come to Jesus just, hey, you know what? I think a good, uh, today's a good day to, to check out Christianity. I think I'm just going to convert. No, nobody's going to do that. God's going to have to draw their hearts right. to Jesus. So the idea is he's saying, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, well, if you read that wrong, it might sound like you have to save yourself uh, by using guilt trips. That's not what Paul's saying. No. He's saying it's God that works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We're not talking about guilt trips and fear and manipulations. And even Jude says, saving some by compassion and saving some by fear. Well, does that mean a guilt trip? No. What that means is you see some people in need and the compassion of Jesus Christ goes out and he saw that they were like a sheep without a shepherd. So he, he gave them the word. Or he saw that they'd been three days without food. So he provided them food. It was compassion that saved their spiritual selves and in some cases literally saved their physical selves because they hadn't eaten for a while right. and they were out in the backside of the desert somewhere but um the fear aspect is kind of like hey listen you've got to understand if you continue in this lifestyle this sin there's going to come a day you will have utter separation from god and that fear of the lord should come upon you but some people you have to say that way it's going to no more of us the worst thing yeah, 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 yeah. Unless you, you fall into something worse than that. But I, again, I, I kind of go back to that rich young ruler too. He, he says, you know, it's it's not about inheriting eternal life; it's about entering in. In other words, you know, Jesus says in another place, strive to enter in at the straight gate. Wait a minute, I thought this is a free gift. And then later, uh, was it the Book of Hebrews? Oh, no, or was, maybe it's Paul. I can't even remember now. I'm, I've lost the reference. He knows too much. 
You know what they have. <laughs> he had gone too far. He says, you know, he that has suffered, maybe it's Peter, he that has suffered has ceased from sin. You know, and then uh, Hebrews says, for he being a son, he learned obedience through the things which he suffered. And it's like, I don't want those scriptures to be in the Bible. Yeah. But they're there anyway. You know, (laughs) but they're there anyway, you know. And and so, again, like we were saying before, there's some deeper understanding that guys like Paul had, certainly Jesus, but also Paul and uh, Peter and James and John. These guys writing these New Testament letters, they had an understanding. Well, even Paul, he says things strange. I, I, this always caught me off guard based on the whole oneness thing, but Paul would always start a letter, greetings from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm like, why does he keep saying that? That's really something there. There's something that I'm not understanding because if Paul's going to portray it that way, there's an understanding that I don't have. Yeah. You know, I, I'm with you on that. I think the Lord... At the age of 48, been saved for 41 years. I think the Lord is finally starting to give me some inklings, mm-hmm. and it's in Genesis 101. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, it, it's something about the natural and the spirit, the natural and the spirit. And so when He talks about Father, our Father which art in heaven, Jesus came down to earth. There's something about that. Are they two different? No, but there's two different realms. And they're explained you know? differently. Yeah. Like I mean, is there two different gods or even two different persons of the Godhead? Not as far as I'm concerned, yeah. but there are two different realms. There's a heavenly realm and there's an earthly realm. I, I think that's part of it. And I'm not going to go any further with it because I'm still, these thoughts are still developing in my spirit. You know? yeah. But uh, I did talk a little bit about that last Wednesday night here. Um, but uh, yeah, the Lord's been after all these years. But I'm with you on it. Why is He saying that? <laughs> well, I've always found that it's it's like making a differentiation between the spirit and the body sacrifice to let you know that there's something that is always standing in the gap. Yeah, in the sense of the the mediator between God and man. Yes, and it's it separates yeah. it that way, and it, and it and exalts this body. Above everything, and then, uh, I don't know. It's something I feel I mean, the Lord is working with me on that for a while now. And the easy way that I've heard it explained all the years of my Christian education was: well, the word "kai" in Greek can mean the conjunction "and" or it can mean "even." Mm-hmm. But I'll be honest with you; that's never been satisfactory. Because yeah. well, it should have been translated "our Father." Even the Lord Jesus Christ. I've always heard it explained that way. That's why. And yet, some very, very good Greek scholars and translators always put it in, and there's reasons why they do. But yes, the Greek word kai can be used either way, but in sentence context, you can tell whether it's supposed to be a conjunction between two ideas or the connecting. Two ideas with a word like even, and most of the time they'll say and. So it's not, it's never been satisfactory to me to just because that's like a cop out. Oh, you know, it just means even. Well, then, then there Maybe. would be no purpose in calling God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. Yeah, exactly. They're still making the reference. Yeah. 
the Father and Son, and son. Or, yeah. or the Spirit, the Spirit and Father. So, yeah, no, there, there is a pattern there. But um, another another good example of a pattern that sometimes we don't see is John, uh, 1 John 1. John says, this is the message what we receive. God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. The rest of that book was all about that. And if you don't understand it that way, you won't understand the book. Because John says, my beloved children, I write to you that you sin not. And then he says, if you sin, you're, you're not, not of God, God. later. <laughs> and, but, yeah, yeah, right. So in first, first John chapter 3, he says, I'm writing to you so that you don't sin. Yeah. But if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Like, you're confusing me, John. No, no, our, our own mind. You're not understanding something. I think that's just the difference between a willful sin and then a sin that, like, you really made a mistake. Yeah. You know what I mean? I decided to look at pornography opposed to like I I took something I forgot to pay for it type thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it it's I think it, I think that is absolutely part of it. I think it goes even deeper. I think it's a point where listen, the whole point of receiving this word is to help you to not sin. The whole point of receiving the Holy Ghost is so that the law is written on our heart, so that we don't sin. All the way back to Exodus twenty. Uh, the Lord has come to test you that his fear may come upon you. Right. Uh, but you, I don't want you to be afraid, but I do want the fear of the Lord to come upon you that you don't sin. Well, this is... Well, are we supposed to be afraid or not? You know, it's it's one of these things that... That has always led me to rehab. And I, rehab has always been like an anomaly to me because she tells them that they're not there, right? They're, I don't know where they are. She lied. And God, you know, later on she's addressed as the harlot in the, in the New Testament, right? Still, the harlot Rahab, mm-hmm. justified by faith, even though she lied to hide them. The rabbis actually justify her lie because it was done for God. Now, I don't know if I take it that far, but well, I have actually read rabbinical literature that says it was a good lie. <laughs> and I was like, it was a lie. It was a lie, yes. But it's it's addressed as, not, I wouldn't say the, the lie itself, but her action was addressed as an act of faith. I think I think the action that they're referring to as faith was the hiding of them, not the lying. Yeah, but she lied to hide But in her natural mind, she lied. But in her spiritual, I'm going to have faith, she hid. She hid them. See, it was considered Because it didn't say, didn't say Rahab the harlot lied and then hit them. It says Rahab the Hallet hid them. That was the faithful act. Right. The carnal act was the lying, which God may not have done that, but in her carnality, not knowing how God works, because it wasn't her God, says, I'm going to lie. Whereas maybe the soldiers asked her, she didn't even need to answer. As Jesus walked through the midst of them as they were going to throw them up the hill, maybe she didn't need to answer and it would have just disappeared. But in her carnality, she needed to give a response. But it's real. Possibly. That's that's my issue, and it, it always leads me back. It doesn't say that was righteous or faithful. No, no, it wasn't. It doesn't. But but it's it's alluding to the fact that what she did was an act of faith. Hiding the spies. Hiding the spies. But she was also a harlot. It doesn't say that was an act of faith. She was providing for her home by no, being a harlot. She's addressed as a harlot and justified by faith. Not for the harlot. You know for, what I'm saying? For the hiding. Yeah, yeah. It, well, it really it really kind of messes with me, and 
makes well, me think of First John chapter three differently than I think most people would. It's like how Paul is always saying he has this liberty, you know, and it is, is the right thing to do. I'm not not saying that we can justify a lie. I'm just saying maybe there's something deeper there that we're not fully grasping in the Lord. I will agree with that. Yeah. There are deeper patterns and deeper currents that we haven't fully realized. And it, and it takes maturity in Christ to really get to it. Yeah. Because It's like, it would be like handing a card to your five-year-old. Not going to do it. And you couldn't uh, explain it to somebody either. No. Because even if the Lord did show, like, we have a hard time understanding Paul. And Peter says people Paul, take his scriptures and yeah. twist them to their own damnation. Mm-hmm. Not back then. Yeah. Never mind, we got some time to twist some stuff. And we twisted it. We twisted it hard. But yeah. he couldn't, you, I don't think we, all of us, I think it would be difficult for us to sit down with a man like Paul and Paul go through the things that he knew and us to see it. Yes, because Paul, you know, I mean, here's the thing about Paul. He said at the feet of Gamaliel, and we know historically Gamaliel was a tough master. Uh, he's still one of the most renowned rabbis in all history. And not too many of his writings have survived. But uh, he's renowned historically. And he's mentioned in the Bible a couple of times. You know, and he said a very wise thing concerning this emerging Christianity. But other than that, the rabbis themselves venerate him. And we know that under his schooling, that by the time his yeshiva school students were about 12 or 13, they could quote major portions of the Torah and expound upon them. Like give give midrashic understandings, mm-hmm. even though they didn't really even learn what's called midrash or the parable or the higher level of understanding until they got it down cold. So we also know that by the time these kids were basically graduating from his school around the age of 21, now they could go into higher levels of learning, but uh, by the time they were graduating that that level, every one of his students, if they stuck with them until they were 21 would have been able to quote the first five books of the Bible verbatim. So we we believe that a guy like Paul could sit in a prison cell without a Bible and just write scripture because he had it memorized. And he and also expound on it in what the Hebrews call uh, Midrash. That's what we call well, it. Well, expound on it by Gamaliel, but also expound on it by the Holy Spirit, which he now right. had even deeper. Well, right. with, the res- with the revelation well, of Holy Jesus Ghost Christ. Him know, yes. yeah. And um, so, yeah, I, I don't I don't put any faith in it. If I talk about rabbinical stuff, it's not because I put faith in it. But we, we can learn a couple of things. Yeah. But no, I agree with you, David, because it's not so much what he learned from Gamaliel. It's the discipline he had under Gamaliel. So that when he got the Holy Ghost later in life, Bang! His world opened up in a way that we can And besides that... It's like he was like packed with dynamite waiting yeah. for that Holy Ghost fuse, fuse yeah. to bring him deeper. I mean, the other thing, too, is he got caught up into the third heaven. Now, when did that happen? Well, we don't know. It could have happened on the road to Damascus. He literally could have been caught up into the third heaven even before he had the Holy Ghost. Now, I can't prove that. That's just a point. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. But uh, bottom line is, he doesn't really say what stage of his life 
was happening. All we know is he saw things there and had understandings there. He couldn't bring down into human speech. He called it unlawful. Because I think it was the same level as Daniel and John. There were same things that they were experiencing that they can't. It, yes, God said seal it up, but it's more of a matter of this is so high and lofty. Even if you said it, it would make no sense. That's why John, when yeah. explaining the New Jerusalem, the crappiest part, the roads were gold. Gold, yeah. Like that's the best I can do. Yeah, yeah. What well, does it actually mean? They're gold. Maybe not. What's transparent gold? Because yeah, yeah. any gold we've seen, you can't see through it. Yeah, I mean, as far as we know, you can't make gold transparent, you know. But who knows? Yeah. You know, so is this talking about something something high on a higher level? Yeah, it definitely is. We can't understand. Mm. So there are things sealed up. And so some of these things Paul was enjoying knowledge of. We're, you know, he's, well, whoever, it might have been Paul, but whoever's writing to the Hebrews, in, in the end of chapter 5, he's like, I'd like to talk to you. I'm speaking all these places. I'd like to talk to you more about this crazy guy Melchizedek, but I can't. And it's just like, oh man, I would love to learn more about Melchizedek. You know, the, the Hebrews call him the Melchizedek, and that just means the righteous king. You know, and they, there's all kinds of again rabbinic and Jewish ideas about what the Melchizedek even was. And uh, I would love to know what the writer of Hebrews had to say, but he stops his explanation of Melchizedek by saying, you guys should be teachers yourself by this time, but you're not. You're not ready. So because you're not ready to teach others, I can't teach you this. It's like that wheel within a wheel. When one gear turns, it turns all the other gears. You know, so a house of God and a body of Christ, even... Even a synagogue, technically, but a home group, everything's supposed to turn together. In other words, as the adults are getting greater education, as the spiritual leaders of a group are getting greater revelation, the congregation is too. And their children are too. And everybody's coming up higher levels at the same time, even though there's still different levels and different gears, if you will. Wheels within wheels. And Unfortunately, we don't see a lot of churches working that way. Right. Now, I'm not claiming our church does either. I want it to. I want our church to work that way. But as God gives me revelation and I begin to pass it along, I, I would love to see people who are new in Christ, even if they're not fully getting what I'm talking about up here, they're getting something that's bringing them up. Right. And our, you know, you know, so really from newborns all the way up to mature, this whole gear is turning, this whole clockwork is turning together and progressing as a whole. And I think that's the way it's supposed to work. So, yeah, Paul tells us things that we're not ready for yet. doesn't mean we can't get stuff out of it. You know, we, we, can, we can get surface level understandings. We can get deeper understandings and deeper and deeper and deeper. Well, that's why it's important to study the Word of God. Keep going with it and letting the Holy Ghost open it up until the place we get our own third heaven experiences, if God chooses to let us have those. It could be every revelation is a little mini third, third heaven uh, experience. Because I've had revelations that were so profound and the most profound revelations I've ever had always are simple. Yeah. They're very simple. And I think that's the whole thing. The whole thing is, is a little child can understand it on one level, 
and a mature adult can understand it on a completely different level. You know, like um, my daughter, I don't know where she got this one. I don't know if my wife told her this. Uh, we haven't discussed the inner workings of men and women and having babies. You know, yeah. she knows though that babies come from two people. And uh, she was she was saying the other day. No evolution, you mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was, uh, she uh, she was saying the other day. She was actually crying because my daughter's tonight, and she was actually crying. I want a baby sister, but she knows. Uh, but not she said. But I know that I can't get a baby sister unless I sleep in my own bed and let you and mommy <laughs> sleep alone in your bed. <laughs> Again, I don't know. Where did I don't, that come from? Yeah, I don't know if Amber told her. Well, you're gonna need to let me, me and Daddy sleep in a right. uh, bed by ourselves then. You know, if you want a little sister, I think maybe she did say that to her, but she doesn't know what goes on in the bedroom. Yeah. She just knows we need to be alone in the bedroom. If we're ever going to get another baby sister, you know, so yeah, so there's an understanding on one level. Of course, me and Amber have a much higher level of what that means, right? You know, but it doesn't mean she can't get something out of it. And more, more intimate understanding. Yes, yeah. So yeah, all in the same realm. It's all in the same subject, just way different levels. Yeah. No, so I mean, when it comes to law and love. Or if you want to say law and grace, I'm a balance guy, and not balance of light and dark like we already talked about. Because in him is light and no darkness. There's no balance. He's only light. So when we're talking about balance, we're talking about balance within the light. So you know, what do we do? How do we reconcile the scriptures where Paul says we're no longer under the law? We're no. Again, this is my. And I want to reference this. I want to qualify by saying this is my opinion. Mm-hmm. But Paul talks about, um, uh, where is it? I know it's Romans. Uh, maybe it's Romans. Does it talk about, I don't, we don't make void the law? Or the law is no effect? Uh, that's, that's a good part. Uh, oh yes, it is, uh, chapter seven. Uh, he's saying, the things I want to do, I don't do. Yeah, yeah. Things I do, uh, I want to do. Or, or I, the things I do, I don't want. Anyway, it's very confusing in the King James, but you read it enough times, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Verse 21 says, I find then a law. You know, mm-hmm. going back from there, verse 20 says, Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. So this is one of those deeper understandings. So if I've given my life to Christ, and I have, divine nature now. Now I no longer take guilt even if I sin. That's the reason why the word of God has come to me so that I don't sin and yet if I sin I have an advocate of the Father. So he's like it's no longer me that's doing it but it's it's sin. that sin that dwells in me in my, in my flesh. But then he goes on he says I find in a law that when I would do good evil is present with me. What, what Paul is saying is this is an absolute Law of nature. It's like gravity. Um, you can't disagree with gravity. It is. Mm-hmm. I mean, e- even if you want to say, well, it's not really a law, who cares? It doesn't take away gravity. Gravity is a situation of life we can't get around. And this is the kind of law that he's saying. I find then that there is a situation that is unchangeable. And every time I try to do good, evil's right there. 
I think what he's trying to say, and he really makes this clear in chapter 8, is if I'm trying to do good in my sinful flesh, it's always screwed up. But if through the Holy Spirit, through, through the Spirit of God, he comes through me, and he does good through me, and it's always good. Well, he goes on to say, uh, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law. And I think this is where we get confused. Paul talks about another law. In my members, warning against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. This is the old wretch man that I am, who should deliver me from the body of his death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Later, he calls it the law of sin and death. Right. So when, in chapter 6, he says we're no longer under the law, but grace. Right. I think what he's saying is the same thing he says in Colossians. The ordinances of the law that were against me were nailed to the cross. We often misquote Colossians chapter 2, Colossians 2. We often misquote that by saying the law was nailed to the cross. That's not what he said. He said it was the ordinances, or in other words, the punishments. Because the punishment, if I murder someone, the punishment is I get killed. So the punishment, the negative impact of my life, that's what got, the curse got nailed to the tree, you know. And that's what he's saying. But the law itself didn't die. You know, uh, Jesus himself is the embodiment of the word. His flesh died, or in other words, his sinful flesh. The law of sin and death in his flesh died. But what resurrected? The glory of God. So he was resurrected in a glorious body without sin. You know, so is he still the word though? Yes, he is. So the word itself doesn't die, but the law of sin and death does. So when we go from there into chapter 8, it says in verse 34, what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, you know, for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law, the law is righteous, might be fulfilled in us. We walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So when we're walking after the spirit, Paul says we're still fulfilling the law. Now this is where it really kind of comes into, into really sharp focus for me, reading down to verse 7. It says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, things of the spirit, for to be carnal minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God. Now, it didn't say we are. It just says the carnal mind, which is an enemy of God, is not a subject to the law. And then it really locks it on. And it says, neither indeed can be. There is no way that we can even keep the law of flesh. And if you kind of like flip that equation around, it's like Paul is saying, but we can and do keep the law by the Spirit. And that's what Jeremiah was saying. His word is written in our hearts. So do do we go and say, okay, um, I have to keep this law in order to be No, because that's carnally thinking. Right. Uh, you know, okay, I'm going to abstain from uh, adultery. You know, well, like, like David always points out, you know, the better way to do it is because I love my wife, I'm not going to. Adultery. 
and you can just take it apart. Because I love my God, I'm not going well, to. Well, you say because I love my wife, but if you love your wife, you wouldn't do that. That's what I'm saying. Yes. Yeah. So I'm not. not I, in other words, I'm not cheating on my wife, uh, or I, I should say, I'm not abstaining from cheating on my wife just because God's going to throw me in hell if I do. Right. Or because it's a law that I'm touting my own righteousness by I've never cheated on my wife. Which is true. I've never cheated on my wife. But it's nothing to brag about. It's more of a the higher purpose is I love my God. That's what Romans 13 says. Everything in the law is all about love. I don't sin because I love God. I don't steal or kill or commit adultery or any of those things because I love God. Well, it's also true because I love my wife. Which comes through the love of God. It, it always wraps up in that realm. So, again, I try to balance the idea of law and grace. But when I'm talking about law, I'm talking about the law of grace. Because there's a law of grace, there's a law of life, there's a law of the spirit, there's a law of the mind, and what Paul says, the mind. And what he says, mind, it usually can get translated consciousness. Right. The law of consciousness. When he talks about the other kinds of law that we're not under, the law of sin and death. Because the wages of sin is death. Right. Well, we're no longer under that. Based on what he's saying, it's in the mind. The body isn't coming. The body, no matter what, isn't coming. That's why we have to get a new body, right? Yeah. So no matter what, he serves that law. But what about Job says, with these eyes will I see him? Does our body get transformed into a glorious body? Eternal body? Or do we get a new body? Because Job says, with these eyes, I'm going to see the Lord. I, was that just Job's way of saying something? The body is glorified, right? I Persona so. corruption, raised I think incorruptible. we will still have our DNA. I think. This is a funny line. Uh, one guy explained it like this. He's like, you say you have like uh, a computer from 1989. Well, <laughs> try to run a program that we have today. You can't. There's no, it's just too old. But but let, let's say I tried to get a computer virus thing. Sorry to interrupt yeah. for one of our uh, computers, and it Norton antivirus. It's not working. I'm like, what in the world? I call the guy. This isn't like maybe 2007. Call him up. I'm like, my, this thing won't run on my computer. He's like, well, what are you running? I'm like, Windows 95. He's like, yeah, you're gonna need a new computer, <laughs> idiot. When was that? 95? <laughs> In 07. Oh, no, no, no. Where'd you get that thing? Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it just it won't work. It, but, it, but it's not the hardware that doesn't work. The hardware works, but the software is incompatible. But what's the software? Now, the software is the information. Like, if you take a CD or even a hard drive, uh, even a hard drive. Like, like I have an external hard drive around here. It's like four terabytes. You can put a lot of information on four terabytes. That's not huge nowadays. Now they have those, you know, servers that are anyway. But like you know, say just a four terabyte hard drive, you can get a lot of information. But let's say you take an empty hard drive, weigh it on a scale, and then you fill that thing up with capacity of information, weigh it on a scale. It's going to weigh the exact same. Not going to change. In other words. Information doesn't weigh anything physical. And that should tell us information doesn't belong to the physical realm. It belongs to the soul realm. So the where did the DNA in our cells 
in our cells get the information from outside of physicality. Right. It's information from God. Now, in our current state, our hard drive cannot take the software. So the hardware has to be upgraded. And I think that's going to be a glorified body. So that the software can download and bam, we're glorified beings. So, yes, we will have a new body, technically, but I think it's still going to be our DNA. It's just a better yeah. version of this. It's going to be a much better version of this. Right. It's, it, you get a computer, it's still Microsoft or whatever, it's, it's still Windows, and it's just way better. Like, there was a day where uh, you, you went from, from you know, chromatic, uh, monochromatic uh, screens, you know, and you went to like a full color monitor because you had a computer with software and, and hardware that could support that kind of stuff. And there was there was programs like a spreadsheet program, like say Excel or some other spreadsheet program, you could use on your old computer. But then when you put the same program in your new computer, it works way faster, way better, full color, mm -hmm. and it's just, but it's all the same software. So some software does download into these old hard drives, but there's some that can't, you know. But yeah, I, I think we'll have the same DNA. I think this, I think this is how God is going to resurrect the dead. He's basically going to take the encrypted information, because technically information isn't going away. But also resurrecting the dead would assume the dead is the old hardware being resurrected with new software. Right. So still that, uh, still this body. What, what if he's just taking the information and, and gathering? Now, this guy, this guy Bruce Lipton, he's like a new agent, but he said something that's interesting. He was trying to explain uh, reincarnation. Because this guy's a total atheist. He comes from an atheistic evolutionary background, but he, he now believes in kind of like the higher consciousness. So he, he now he believes in reincarnation. He's trying to explain from a scientific point of view how that can work. Well, say, say there was a a physical body that was born in the last generation, it attracted a particular soul, or it attracted a particular frequency from the higher consciousness. And so once that body dies, maybe some down, maybe in the next generation, or maybe uh, years and years later, another body is born with the same frequency. That soul just downloads back into that body. Well, of course, I didn't buy any of this incarnation stuff, but I was like, huh, okay. What if that's, because technically a glorified body, or us getting our bodies changed, technically that is an incarnation. Because we are getting new bodies, and our old self, or our old soul, goes into a new body. So technically you could call that a transmigration of souls, you know, even though we don't believe in reincarnation after the Eastern religions idea. So I was like, all right, what if God just, you know, it's the same frequency, you know? He, that information that, that is specifically us, call it DNA, whatever you want to call it, attracts, once he, once he forms that body, literally forms that body out of the dust, it attracts that soul and only that soul. Now again, I'm getting too far into that new agey garbage, but it was an interesting idea. That was based on informational frequency. 
Uh, I think I was saying this in church some time ago. We used to have this old uh, magnet, like electromagnet. Push a button, you know, and we'd take these old cassette tapes and we'd erase them. And if you didn't do it enough, you could put it in the tape player and you'd hear this, you know, a few words and then they So you know you have to do it, you have to swipe it again. And you know, good two minutes. Well, what's actually happening, you know? Again, the tape doesn't weigh any less. You're just scattering molecules, electrons and stuff, you know, you're just scattering them around and you're making them so that there's no intelligible information anymore. But all the molecules are really technically still there. Um, and that's what Paul was saying. And it's like if a trumpeter doesn't trumpet with a certain sound, if he's just blowing on his horn, it's not going to be intelligible. It's got to have a particular sequence. And that's what the benefit of speaking a known tongue and an unknown tongue. An unknown tongue speaks to our spirit because it speaks to a deeper part of us and it totally makes sense to our inner man. But to our outer man, it makes no sense at all. So if you're going to edify the church, edify an unknown tongue. You know? But, you know, just because you're speaking in tongues doesn't mean there's not information. Information on some level we don't get it. We don't, we don't have the equipment to replay it, you know, except for my spirit. You know what the statement Paul made that always messed me up? I'm glad that I speak in tongues more than you all. How did you know that, Paul? <laughs> uh, it's um, <laughs> one time my dad. He, uh, we, were, we were at the Baptist school that I went to. And I really had a lot of respect for the pastor there. And he was a godly man. And I asked him one day, I said, um, does Pastor Littlefield have the Holy Ghost? And my dad said, no. He goes, but he's about this far away from me. He's like, if he would just let himself go, God would fill him. Well, how did my dad know that? The more experience you have in the Holy Ghost, the more you can actually feel other people's experience in the Holy Ghost. Like the more life you have and the more maturity you have, if you can more easily recognize maturity level than someone else. You know, like a school teacher, she can come to a class and she can assess her children because they're much lower than her, you know. Yeah, you know, how, how did Paul know that? And if this isn't still true. Is it still true? It's still true to this day. That Paul speaks in tongues more? <laughs> uh, Did he speak in tongues more than everyone else? I mean, it's written. More than you all? That's a good idea. That's a good question. Is, is there anybody that's ever spoken in tongues more than Paul? Oh, sure. Yeah. But like, he was talking to that congregation. Yeah. I text At that time, it, it locks it down to that congregation by saying you all. But it's at the same thing with like Chester Wright. When he first came to Annapolis, Maryland, he was working with the home missionary there. And the home missionary told him, he's like, you know, basically, how do I get to your level? How do I see people's souls say, like, like you're, you're dealing with souls? How, how can we see the miracles and all these wonderful things? And the, the home missionary, pastor there, he basically told him one thing. Pray, yes, pray, but he goes, speak in tongues at least one hour a day. 
Again, that sounds like a work. Like, do I have to work for this thing? But Chester Wright began to do it. He says, I would speak in tongues for at least an hour a day. Just nothing but speaking in tongues. He says, after three months, he went home to visit his parents. He walked through the door, and his parents were churchgoers. But they, you know, they weren't in ministry or anything. They were more like almost casual church Christians. And uh, he walked through the door. He says his dad, who was not a very dynamic or spiritually sensitive guy, said, something's different about you. He could see it. And this was only after three months of this. There's something about the more you, you get into that spiritual realm, the more you can sense it. But at the same time, other people can sense it about you. Something, oh, something's about that guy. Yeah, no, but no, that was an interesting question. Does they call the guy that's spoken tongues more than anybody? I don't know. I think it's I think it's weird because uh, it's it's just a it's just an odd statement. Like you wouldn't hear anybody say. I that. think my God, I speak in tongues more than you all. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think it goes along with the idea what Paul says. I'm thankful that I baptized none of you except for the house of Stephon. Because if I have, I don't remember. But uh, why did he say that? I think it's more of an idea in, in the baptism case so that you don't make me a god. Yeah. Because some of you have all already split up into schisms and some of you are making me the, the top guy, but some of you are making Peter, some of you are making Paulus and, and other people. And some of you are getting really high-minded going, well, we serve Jesus, you know. And you got those same people today. Why just listen to Jesus? I don't listen to any man. You know, whatever. You're not listening to Jesus. You know? <laughs> but uh, anyway, I, I think he was saying, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you because now you would make me some, put on, you know, on some pedestal. The same book he's talking about, I'm thankful that I spoke in tongues more than you are. That's, that's like the opposite. Now it's like, I'm thankful that I'm the one that's taught you about spiritual things. You know, I'm thankful that you heard me and saw me operating more than anybody else because I know I can teach you right about I mean, that's my opinion. But it is a weird thing to say, though. Like going into church and saying, oh, I'm just so thankful that I'm so more spiritual <laughs> I don't think that would have than any of you. He definitely wasn't half a song because they don't say that. <laughs> yeah, that would be a little bit strange. All right, I think we're going to...